Rich, you there? Yeah, man, I couldn't hear you. You went out on me. All right, yeah, sounds like we're all you back now. Went out on me too. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what happened there, man. That was weird. The last I heard was a uh, single banana package. Okay. Yeah, that's what and I heard. And that you love my package. Yeah. That's all I heard. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's a nice package. <laughs> all right, children, y'all ready? <laughs> <laughs> You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Ghost 81 discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on RF Generation and social media platforms like Twitter. Every episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. It's episode 57, and it's time once again for a year-end wrap-up. As has become the tradition, we are joined by VIP playthrough enthusiast Dougley007 to discuss our favorite and least favorite playthroughs of the year, as well as recap our December golf tournament. As usual, it is a fun discussion that cannot be missed. You can listen to the show on Podbean and iTunes, where we always appreciate a good review. On Twitter, we're at RFG Playcast, and Rich is at The Single Banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. Ain't nobody gonna tell me how to run my town. Ain't nobody gonna tell me how to run my town Don't bring me no coffee That ain't how it's gonna go down Don't bring me no coffee Oh, 
I forgot to mention on our last show when we were talking about Bioshock, Sean had sent out a warning saying that you don't really want your son to watch you play this game because it's pretty violent, pretty scary at parts. But uh, as you all know, I'm going for that 2018 Father of the Year award. And uh, I kind of ignored what you said. I let him watch me play Bioshock. Oh, God. And uh, it's working out kind of well. My son is one of these like very squeamish kids that doesn't like the sight of blood or anything like that. But when it comes to video games, I try to push the envelope with him a little bit to kind of desensitize him in a way. And it, it's actually working because he like, can watch video games and enjoy that and understands, of course, that it's a form of media. So uh, he actually enjoyed watching me play Bioshock. Oh, well, good for him. What's next? Resident Evil or? <laughs> Maybe something with a chainsaw. Of course, he already saw me play Doom. Uh, so it couldn't get any worse than that, right? <laughs> well, you could throw in lollipop chainsaw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that game is awesome. I love that game. It is. Go ahead and get him used to a little skin, too. You know, right, for his right, teenage right. years. There. <laughs> <laughs> Work your way up to the God of Wars. Where he's just laying there. Yep. Uh, so that familiar voice that you hear on our show is, of course, Doug. Dougly007 from our website, who actually plays all of our Playcast games every year. This is your third year on with us, Doug. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It is third year on. Uh, like, fourth or fifth year where... I've at least played. I think five years ago, I wasn't able to play every game. But yeah, since then, I've tried to hit every game, pick it up if I don't have it. It's been great. I really enjoy it. It's my lack of community. As a father of special needs kids, I don't get to socialize much. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we have a good social forum when we're discussing the game. So, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. Something, uh, you know, Sean and I have been doing for, gosh, five years now or more. And, you know, still enjoying it each month. So, uh, you know, keep this train rolling. As you know, when you're hearing Doug's voice, that means that this is our end-of-year wrap-up show. And so what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the games that we're playing in the December competition very briefly. And then what we'll get into is our best of 2018, which we break down the top five games that we thought were the best of 2018 that we played on this playcast. And then also answer a few other questions about some of the games we played. So, um, without further ado, we'll just kind of jump on into the concert cast. Sean, what you got, man? Well, as I warned everybody last month, I really wanted to just throw out a handful of albums of the year. I'm not very cutting edge when it comes to music a lot of the time, but I do like to just kind of review albums that have come out during the year. And I kind of realized that a lot of bands that I really love put out albums that I didn't really like at all this year. And I'm not going to name names, but uh, there were a lot of disappointments for me in the musical sphere in 2018. So as I whittled down my list, it came down to probably just like seven or eight albums that I actually really enjoyed and wanted to come back to. So I'm going to give you my top three and just share some recommendations of albums that came out this year that you might have missed. And they're in no particular order. So first, I want to start with a band called Gouge Away. And yes, they did take their name from the Pixies, Pixies. song, <laughs> yeah. but they don't sound like the Pixies. They're actually a hardcore screamo band. 
I talked in the past about the band Touche Amore, and the way I discovered Gouge Away was they were opening for them when I saw Touche Amore. And it was one of those cases where the opener was as good, if not more memorable and better than the band you went to see. So the album is called Burnt Sugar, and it really made me think last month, Rich, when we were talking about dark lyrics and just how some people can pen lyrics that will take you to a really dark place. And yeah. the singer for this band, Christina Michelle, I don't know her full name, but that's her Instagram tag is Christina Michelle. She just takes you to a really dark place with some really soul crushing lyrics. And uh, you really got to be in the mood for it, but it's just very aggressive musically. And she's just screaming her heart out the whole time and it's uh it's an incredible album and for a complete change of pace you can look at one of my other picks which is kiari pamu pamu and the album is called japamu and that is a j-pop album for anybody who knows kiari she's known as like the lady gaga of japan but i always say that lady gaga wishes she was our kiari pamu pamu <laughs> because <laughs> she's someone who i've been following for a long time and she dropped this album this year that is just like really tight really catchy j-pop and it has it starts off with a real chiptune influence sound so I think some of our listeners will really have a good impression of it right off the bat. It's pretty short. All the songs are just snappy and catchy. And uh, it's a really, really good J-pop album and not super overproduced. I'm a fan of J-pop, but sometimes when you listen to it, it can be so overproduced that it'll just wash you over like a wall of sound and uh, it starts to all sound the same. But I think this album, all the songs are very distinctive and it's just really good and definitely, in my opinion, her best album yet. And then I'll give you one more. This album is from an artist that I've only discovered recently, but I've gone back and listened to all of her albums and I like them all. Uh, the artist is Princess Chelsea and the album is called The Loneliest Girl. If you've ever heard of the band The Brunettes, Princess Chelsea has been a part-time member in the Brunettes. They were from New Zealand, and so is she. The album is kind of atmospheric. There's a lot of reverb. There's some dancey stuff, but it's more mellow, but not boring. I like to say, if you've ever heard Lana Del Rey, picture Lana Del Rey with more energy, but also happy lyrics. She's kind of like the bizarro version of Lana Del Rey because instead of singing about sex and drugs and depression, she's singing about love and happy stuff and <laughs> her love of music and her love of life. And uh, it's just a really, really good album. And some of the songs, they will start out in a way that's kind of slow and you're like, I don't know if I can get into this. But then by the time the voice comes in and she has this just beautiful angelic voice and the hooks just kind of find their way into your heart. And it's just such a good album. Like I said, I'm not ranking this as like a top three, but that might be my album of the year. That's Princess Chelsea, The Loneliest Girl. All right. So I got to throw something back at you. Last month, you told me that I listen to a lot of music that seemed to be very emo or sort of depressing. I have to ask you, 
all three of your picks have female lead singers. Is there something to that other than what we already know about you and your love of female characters in video games? Yeah, I mean, it's exactly that. And I had a couple other what I would call honorable mentions, but they were all mostly female as well. The only exceptions I would say is uh, Andrew WK's new album and the new MXPX album that are male fronted bands. But yeah, as with video games where I prefer to play as a female character, when I listen to music, I prefer to hear a female voice. It's just the way I am. It's just my preference. I don't dislike male voices. I, Of course, I love plenty of bands with, with male singers mm-hmm. and, you know, it's all good. But if given a choice, I'll have a preference for a female voice. Right. That's very interesting. I've always listen to more male voices and basically the reason is because of the way the industry set up, right? I mean, it is, you know, like, you know, most other businesses, very male dominated. And so, you know, I've always listened to more albums from guys. And a lot of the reason for that, I think, is because some of the lyrics that they sing about, uh, you know, I, I take a lot of lyrics very personally and a lot of the stuff that they sing about, I guess I feel I, I identify more with, you know, um, as far as life situations and stuff like that. But I find that most of the female singers that I do listen to have like a lot more grittier lyrics, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to always kind of broaden my horizon. And uh, although it's harder to find female singers that I do enjoy, you know, I'm always on the lookout. And, uh, you know, over the last several years, I've definitely been finding a lot more. So out of curiosity, do you treat your music like your games? Do you like to have physical copies? Do you try to get a record or a CD? Are you asking me? Because my gaming habits aren't exactly like that anyway. Like, I'm okay with digital games, but I used to be physical only. So I'm completely sympathetic with that viewpoint. But as far as music, it's an interesting question. And I'm glad you asked because we actually used to have a huge CD collection. Just hundreds, if not over a thousand CDs. But when we decided to relocate, we said, it's time to let these go. I had the absolute time of my life giving away all of my CDs to all of my friends. I would have these get-togethers. I would tell people, come over to my house. I'm giving away my CDs. You can take whatever you want. Of course, I kept a couple. I have a Beat Happening autographed box set and a couple other things that are just sentimental in a yeah. small box. But yeah, I'm I'm all digital. I actually have a 120 gig or uh, maybe a 160 gig classic iPod that's just loaded to the gills. Nice. And um, you know, I know Spotify is not perfect. It doesn't have everything, but I do have a paid Spotify account that I use. So when you buy, you just buy the entire album so you can listen to it as intended, or or do you? Like grab a song here and there and decide if you're going to get the album. So very, very rarely pay money to download music. I will every once in a while if I can't find something on Spotify, go on Google Play or iTunes to buy something. But what I do is get CDs from the library and rip them onto my iPod if it's something that I can't find on Spotify. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sort of like you, Sean. I did the same thing with my CD collection. I had hundreds and hundreds of CDs. And uh, I bought an external hard drive and just ripped everything onto that. And then, you know, sold them to a local store and got several hundred dollars (laughs) for everything that I had. And then, you know, put that to use somewhere else. But uh, 
I collect a lot of vinyl, but a lot of times the vinyl I get has the coupons in it to get the music digitally. So I will do that and just sort of rip and download. And then the other thing is, if I find an album that I like on CD... I'll buy it like at a used media store or at a Goodwill or something for a few bucks. Then I'll rip it and then I'll resell it or trade it in for credit so that I have that album, you know, at least digitally. I do that too. What's kind of funny about that is a lot of times buying a CD for 99 cents off eBay is cheaper than paying $9.99 to download it off Absolutely. Google or iTunes. Absolutely. Even with shipping. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'll buy stuff, rip it, and then just give it away to somebody. I forgot about that little trick, too. Are you guys aware of, like, with Amazon, if you buy a, an album from Amazon, you automatically get the digital copies of the song, too? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know that, and I got the, the last Weird Al album, album <laughs> on CD. Nice. And then I got an email saying, here's your digital copy. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I just did that. I bought some <laughs> albums for my kids for Christmas, and... uh which kind of goes into our concert cast thing and uh, got all of them digitally, which was really cool. And I, I was happy to have the digital stuff for myself, you know, while they have the physical CDs. Nice. Sean, did you want to name your honorable mentions really quick? Just uh, get the names out there if you have a list of them. Oh, sure. I'm going to pull it off the top of my head. Um, Snail Mail, who I said I'm going to go see in January. The album is called Lush. Mitski, the album is Be the Cowboy. That's like a singer-songwriter kind of album. Really cool. Really weird lyrics, but I really like the sound of it. I think that's it. Like I said, MXPX and Andrew WK, their new albums are great. And oh, one more, Super Organism. They were an indie band that came together over the internet, and they have like 12 members or something, and they made this album by like sending each other the music tracks back and forth, and they assembled this album that's just kind of an experimental pop record. It's really laid back and cool and um, worth checking out. So awesome. It's not a, like a great, great album, but it's a really cool concept and a good debut album with some really awesome songs on it. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. All right, Doug, I'll kick it over to you. I know uh, when I sent you the outline, I mentioned we were going to do this. And uh, I don't know if you were able to pull any albums or not, but I thought it'd give you a chance to talk about those if you want. I don't do music very much, honestly. I will throw on uh, my Amazon music and I'll just tell, hey, I want to listen to some music like this band or you know, whatever. Most of the time, it's stuck on Disney music for the girls. <laughs> I feel you, man. I know what that's like. Yeah. I hear a lot of Disney songs that I don't remember. I'm like, well, now we got it memorized because it's <laughs> Yeah, I've been spending more time with, um, like, this year was my goal is to play games more than hunt them down. That's uh, awesome. And, yeah. yeah, and any spare time I've had, I've been, you know, with my games instead of music or anything else. That was my goal, too, was to get out of only beating games that we play during the playcast and, and trying to beat at least one extra game a month. And I think I succeeded this year in doing that. So that was pretty cool. I got to branch out and kind of push myself to play more games. And I'm enjoying that aspect a lot more now than just the collecting. Well, uh, I'll go ahead and go into my albums for 2018, my favorites. I'm going to do this a little different than you, Sean, because... Unlike you, I don't really listen to a lot of new music. I used to. I used to just be on top of all the like indie albums that were coming out uh, or the albums of people that I really followed. 
But for whatever reason, and I don't follow music as much as I used to, and a lot of the music that I get now is just something that like I might just kind of pick up on when I'm listening to music at work or if I'm, you know, listening to XM in the car and here's something that I like, I'll just kind of follow up on it. And so my top five albums of the year, which I'm going to go into, only one of them is from 2018. The other albums are albums that were released prior to 2018, but are albums that I really didn't know about and hadn't paid a lot of attention to and just really enjoyed this year. So I hope that's acceptable for your rules. Of course, it sounds great. So the first album is going to be my album from 2018, and this is a band I've mentioned on the show a few times. I used one of their tracks, and that's Krungbin, and uh, the album Con Toto El Mundo. If I had to pick an album of 2018, that was probably like my top album. I listened to it the most this year. Wonderful band. If you're into just sort of uh, kind of kung fu funk music, there's no lyrics in any of their songs, but it's just really chill music. Just really easy listening background music and uh, something I really enjoyed. The other album was an album that I had mentioned to you, Sean, and I'd I'd sent you a picture of. I picked up a few Flock of Seagulls albums, including uh, the self-titled album from 1982. And it has a song I ran on it, which was their big hit. And pretty much if you mention Flock of Seagulls, there's two things that people are going to say. They're going to mention the song I ran and the crazy hair. And that's pretty much all they know about Flock of Seagulls. Yeah. I had heard a song called Space Age Love Song on uh, XM Radio, and it has become one of my favorite songs of all time now. And it's the second track on this self-titled album. And so when I bought it, I just let it play through. And I'm like, holy crap, man, this entire album is fantastic. And then you just flip it over to side two and just play that. And man, it is wonderful. They were a fantastic new wave band. It's a shame that more of their stuff isn't out there for people to listen to. And I highly, highly recommend this album. I stand by my theory that they would be so much more highly regarded if it weren't for those music videos and for those Mm -hmm. dumbass hairdos. Because their music is so good, they would be cult heroes. They would be cult classics. Maybe not on the same level as Joy Division, but somewhere in that ballpark, like an Echo and the Bunnymen type of band that yeah. is just highly respected and highly regarded. But they're just remembered for goofy haircuts, which is really tragic. Yeah, it is a shame. That, really that's is. partially, I would have to blame uh, Austin Powers. <laughs> why is that oh it's like when he's like oh what did you miss and then he just mentioned like a couple things and a flock of seagulls and right. he was just mentioning the hair so. oh, yeah man. yeah exactly i remember that now yeah <laughs> all right my number three pick is an album from 1984 this is one i just recently picked up on vinyl in the last month and just happened to find it at my buddy's store uh as i mentioned before i went to see the english beat on saint patrick's day of this year And they played the song Tenderness by the band General Public. And I couldn't figure out, I was like, I didn't really know that was an English beat song. Well, it's really not. It's a song by a group called General Public. And General Public was actually formed by members of the English beat, the Specials, Dexie's Midnight Runners, and The Clash. If you can imagine an amalgamation of those four group. That's a solid lineup. But the album is called All the Rage, and it does have the song Tenderness on it, which is like one of my favorite, just kind of dancey, happy songs. Great love song. And yeah, it's an album I would say you definitely want to pick up. The whole thing is really, really good and and poppy and just, you know, just kind of puts a smile on your face. Is this an album that you guys have listened to? 
I was finally able to grab this from my library, and I actually just ripped it onto my iPod yesterday. I did not realize that they were a super group like that. Yeah. I, you told me about the English Beat connection a couple of days ago, but I didn't realize they were really a super group, essentially. Yeah. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the specials were um, kind of a ska band, really, really great band. The Clash, everybody pretty much knows, sort of a punk reggae group. And then, you know, Dexy's Midnight Runners, who were, their popular song was Come On Eileen. Mm. So, um, yeah, fantastic album, man. And uh, can't wait to hear back from you after you give that one a listen. And then number four is a band that I've mentioned on the show before. I'm really into thrash metal, and I heard this band actually on XM as well. A song by a group called Diamond Head called Am I Evil on there and soon learned that Metallica actually covered it on their Garage Days album. You know, it was a song I really liked. So I went on YouTube and I found the full album and started listening to it. And I was like, oh man, this is so good. I feel like I've heard of Diamond Head before, but I'd really never listened to them. And apparently it was, again, one of these British metal bands, you know, that didn't quite make it overseas like Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. But uh, yeah, Diamond Head's Lightning to the Nations is a fantastic album. It's one of their first from 1980 and one I would highly recommend if you're a metalhead to check out. And then number five, this is an album from 2017. Sean, you may have heard this band. I'm not sure. They've got several albums out. It's a band called All Them Witches. No, I'm not familiar. It's hard to really describe their music. Great guitar riffs, a bit psychedelic as well. The album that I picked up was called Sleeping Through the War, and it has slowly become one of my favorite albums. And other than Krungbun's Conto del Mundo, it's probably the second album that I've listened to the most this year. I'm going to try to go see them in March. They're playing somewhat nearby, but if you get a chance, check out All Them Witches Sleeping Through the War. Great album. That's it. Awesome. What's your favorite channels to listen to on XM? I like the New Wave channel, First Wave. That's my favorite. Yeah. And, I, and I love Ozzy's Boneyard, you know, which is classic metal. And so I kind of flipped through those. And then I listened to a little bit of Lithium, which is, you know, from the 90s, the grunge era stuff. You know, I might find a song or two that I enjoy on that. But the other two are my two primary channels. And, of course, I listen to comedy channels, too. The comedy radio is great. I've been listening to the Canadian comedy. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So it's like on 168, I think. So oh, wow. Not, I didn't even know that existed. It's not by the other comedies. Ah, I would have never found it was, then. I was flipping through, and they just have all the Canadian stations thrown together. So you have the music and their talk radio and then a comedy station in there. So I'm like, oh, this is good because it's not the same comedy I always hear. I do listen to Lithium a lot and I do. Uh, there's another like heavy metal one or like more 90s metal. I can't remember. Uh, uh, well, there's liquid metal. Um, yeah, it liquid. I'm not sure. That, yeah, there's another one I listen to as well as, like you said, more than 90s metal in it. But I, I can't think of the name of the station off the top yeah, of my yeah, head. That, I'm stuck in the same one. <laughs> Well, there's one more thing I wanted to mention on this section of the concert cast. We're always talking about tickets that we picked up. It's December 23rd, so it's two days from Christmas. I got to talk in a kind of softer voice because, uh, yeah, I, I picked up some uh, tickets recently. I'd mentioned that I had gotten my kids tickets to go see Iron Maiden, so I finally picked those up and have them some shirts that they're going to really enjoy going with the tickets and got them a few CDs as well. They're going to enjoy that on Christmas morning. And then I also got tickets to go see Weird Al, who they're really obsessed with too. So, uh, awesome. yeah, 
Yeah, we're going to see those. It's actually in the same week in July. So, uh, yeah, kind of crazy. But uh, my kids have only been to one concert and they enjoyed it. And they've been bugging me and bugging me to go to some shows. And uh, I think they're going to just flip out when they realize that they're going to see probably their two favorite artists this summer. So I'm really excited about sharing that time with my kids uh, as a dad. It's it's just going to be incredible. I've been wanting to see a Weird Al tour. You got to go, man. I'm sure he's coming around now. I live in the Cincinnati area, so the uh, Kings Island has a place where they have concerts. And he used to come to Kings Island all the time when it was owned by Paramount. He would come in, spend the entire day, ride rides. You'd see rides, like, blocked off while him and his crew um, (laughs) rode rides. That was cool because um, I actually got to meet the band. He was off doing his own thing, but the band was there, and we got to talk with them and uh, hang out because I worked with the sound department at the time. That was back in, gosh, that was our 2005? Man, I'm old. All right. <laughs> it's funny you mention that, man, because when I saw Weird Al, it was at a theme park as well called Carowinds. And uh, I think it's owned by, by Paramount same, now. Yeah, it's owned by the same chain. They were bought by the Cedar Fair company. Uh-huh. So, like, Cedar Point was originally just the only place they owned. Mm-hmm. And then when Paramount wanted to get out of the, the theme park business, the Cedar Fair or Cedar Group bought all of the uh, different theme parks. So you have like, you know, the Carowinds, Kings Island, Kings Dominion. Yeah. Um, I think there's like 15 total you can do go to that's owned by the same company now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, off topic. But no, that's yeah. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> Just nerding off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's funny because you mentioned that and they did have like a little place called the Palladium where they did shows. And I saw Weird Al there. We'd spend the entire day riding rides at Carowinds and then go see Weird Al. I'm going to date myself again. I saw another show there at one time. It was Spin Doctors, Screaming Trees, and Soul Asylum. And what's kind of significant and why I even mention it is that I got to ride Thunder Road, which is a roller coaster, with Dave Perner from Soul Asylum. And so that's <laughs> like one of my claims to fame. Just crazy hair and, you know, white t-shirt like with cigarette burns all over it. And uh, yeah, that was pretty cool, man, getting to ride a roller coaster with Dave Perner. He was just hanging out in the park that day, and, you know, nobody bothered him or anything because, I mean, people kind of knew who Soul Asylum was, but he wasn't, like, celebrity. That's awesome. And to be fair, people don't pay attention to a lot when they're at theme parks. So as right. long as a celebrity doesn't have an entourage, <laughs> no one's going to know he's a celebrity. Yeah. 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 Weird Al would have a hard time, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Feeling like a frost and staring at the stars. It doesn't matter the cost, cause everybody wants to be famous. I'm calling the shots, so see you over a month. It doesn't matter the cost, seems like everybody wants to be Be famous, I'm calling 
What do you say, guys? Let's go ahead and go on into news. Sure. Well, we've got some exciting news at RF Generation, and this was our only news talking point that I had down. Starting January 1st, we have decided to do an NES site challenge. Our buddy Crabmaster2000, who's been on the show, member of the Collector cast, had mentioned something in a thread uh, with a group that we have going that Nintendo Age had decided to do a site challenge where they try to beat every Nintendo game. And I'm not sure if they were successful, but we decided, hey, that would be something cool for us to do as a community. You know, try to beat every licensed Nintendo game that's out there. So I spoke to Krabby about it. He got really, really excited. He's like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. I'm going to write something up. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to let you run with it. I've got other site responsibilities. I got the podcast and stuff. I'll kind of oversee it and participate and do that kind of thing. But man, all of our site members are really, really pumped about it. Like talking about on the thread, they're already wanting to reserve a game to start playing because we want to make sure that this is very organized so that people aren't doubling up or playing games that someone's already beaten or anything like that. And I think we're going to do a really, really good job with that. And I'm hoping that all of our listeners, if you're not a member, join our website for free and jump in. We'll take new members to help us beat these games. It's a community event, so what better way to help the community than to uh, you know get new members at rfgeneration.com. Are you guys going to be participating in this or maybe beating any games for it? I already got my hand slapped. I, I said, oh, yeah? I want these three games. He's like, you can't <laughs> reserve them yet. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go ahead and delete my uh, reserves. <laughs> but yeah, I, I tried to jump in there and grab a few that I've been wanting to play through and beat again. And uh, he's like, one at a time. I'm like, okay. There's a few that I have kind of picked and made like a little shorthand written list of that uh, I would like to attempt to beat. These are games that are kind of really special to me that I played as a kid and beat as a child that I'd like to revisit. So, um, yeah, I'm all into this, man, and uh, getting really, really excited about it. And, uh, Sean, you can verify this. Uh, I'm not going to say what the game is, but we do have an NES game that we've picked in the upcoming months as a part of helping out with this site challenge. And this is a game that you and I have discussed wanting to play for a long time in a game that's really special to both of us, right? Yes, that's right. It's going to be awesome, and I'm really glad that we can tie it into the site challenge and kind of put our mark on it via playing it as a playthrough and doing a podcast on it. And it is one of the most important games in my life in general. So I'm very excited to revisit it. You know, the NES is not my favorite console. I'm not I'm not a big NES guy in the way that you guys and some of the other members of the forum are. But I will definitely try and throw my hat in the ring if there's games that I know I can beat or have beaten in the past that I can go on the record with, games that I know and love. But um, you know me, I'm not looking for a challenge, so I'm not going to pick some Silver Surfer or some crap like that. But if nobody claims Jaws or Kirby, I was going to say that. I can do that. You know what I mean? So we'll, we'll go ahead and put you happens. down for Jaws, man. Don't forget, you got Sesame Street 1, 2, 3, and ABC. Oh, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> Done. <laughs> but 
Even some of the games, like I know, for instance, like Urban Champion, you just have to beat four guys. You know, it loops after that. So, okay, you know, there's cool. some that are very easy to beat or like Battle Chess. If you win one round of Battle Chess, you can claim that as your uh, victory. So the good thing about the link that Krabby has set up, he's got a list of all the games in one thread. And then on the other thread, he's got the conditions to beat all of the games. So you can kind of look at that and pick. And right. if you find something that's easy beat it and that's just one more game off the list you know so every little bit helps i think gauntlet you can't beat it doesn't have an end there's a lot of those games that don't actually have an end so you just mm-hmm. have to come up with a okay how are we going to say i'm done <laughs> yeah and just be done with it absolutely so yeah it should be a fun challenge and uh, i'm really excited for it and uh you know really excited for the site because i think it's going to be sort of like our December challenges and like our golf challenges kind of bring everyone together. But instead of being a competition, it's going to be a very cooperative effort, which uh, I'm really, really excited about. So it should be a lot of fun. All right. Well, let's move on into pickups. And uh, I posted this question out on social media. Which console did you pick up the most games for in 2018? So I just wanted to mention it and get a response from you two as far as, uh, you know, which console do you think you picked the most games up for? Uh, this year definitely was a Switch. So, okay, yeah. We had a lot of those responses. I mean, like, just because it's a newer console, and I'm like, okay, you know, it's cool to be able to grab a game and just take it with you or play it on the TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think started out the year with maybe three or four of them, like just the staples. I think I'm over to uh, up to 15 now. Okay. So, I mean, it's not as dramatic as I've had some years. Like, shoot, I know one year I increased my collection by over a thousand games in one year. That was being like going crazy online, doing trades with everyone I could find. And, and this year I'm just like, eh, whatever. I'm just going to pick stuff up when I see it. <laughs> I don't know, man. 15 uh, new games at uh, new game prices. That's pretty significant for a year. You think I paid new game prices? How cute. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Um, Yeah, I know. It's like, uh, for example, I I met a guy that was from Morocco, and he had Doom and Skyrim for the Switch. Uh Um, And they were PAL region, so nobody wanted them. And he dropped the price to $40 for both of them. And I'm like... Does no one know that you can play region-free Switch games? Come on, people. So yeah, I picked yeah. those up, basically $20 a piece. Very cool. And they're still, what, like 55 used? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot yeah. of them are still pretty high. Yeah, so I mean, I, I try not to pay full price for anything. As a collector, you should know that already. Right, exactly. <laughs> Do the same, man. How about you, Sean? Which console did you pick up the most games for this year? It's probably a toss-up between the Xbox One and the Switch. I didn't pick up quite as many games as Doug for the Switch. And sadly, of all the games I picked up, the only one I played was Skyrim, and I traded it away to get other games. I really wanted to get some more Xbox One games, and that was it. You know, I'm still on this, like, not spending uh, my normal quote-unquote money on video games (laughs) and uh since that was my new year's resolution we could probably revisit that next month but uh so my scores are relegated to things i buy off ebay with money that i made from selling games and trades and other such ways that i barter and get things without spending money out of my bank account so 
I did buy a lot of really cheap, like disc only Xbox One games for like under five dollars each. And I've talked about a lot of those on the show and uh, tried to focus on Switch games, even though I sadly ended up not playing too many. Okay, awesome. So a, a little hint, one of my little tricks of the trade for not spending real money on, on games. Um, <laughs> I like you, this term, real money. <laughs> yeah, it's not real money because I didn't do anything to earn it. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. So Bing Rewards, dude, after what? I think I figured after 20 days of doing all the little things to get all the points, you can get a $5 gift card to Amazon. Oh, okay. you, can, you can build those up every 20 days. You can get another $5 gift card. So most of my game year collection, I did not spend real money on. It was all just bought off Amazon using $5 gift cards I got from Bing. Oh, that's Very cool. nice, man. I will look into that. A little trick. I use Bing to get the rewards and then Google to find where I was looking for. <laughs> yeah bing is not the best browser but uh i think duke does those bing rewards too and uh you know usually get some pretty good stuff well if you follow me on twitter you probably know that uh, the system that i mentioned that i picked up the most games for in 2018 was the playstation one and uh yep. you know as far as my pickups are concerned uh picked up a few more ps1 games this month that great prices. So it kind of led to me asking other people that question as I looked over the year. I love my PS1. I actually had to buy, and I've got those standing like uh, CD shelves, you know what I mean? The ones that kind of stand from the ground. I had to buy an extra one just to uh, accommodate all the games that I got. Most of those were probably RPGs. I got into collecting them this year. And uh, yeah, Really excited about that because the PlayStation 1 is a console that I have very, very fond memories of growing up. It's one of my favorites of all time. Because the PS1, of course, is very interesting to me as a Mm -hmm. collecting set. What do you think was your biggest or rarest or most valuable? Like, what was the big whale that you pulled in for the PS1 this year? Uh, Probably Klonoa. I think that was probably it. Yeah, that was... uh, sort of the white well of what I pulled in. Although I pulled in a lot of expensive games for very, very good prices. Uh, As I mentioned, I have a store locally that charges like disc-only prices for complete stuff. And if there's any scratches on the disc, they'll reduce it even further. So, uh, yeah, that and I guess probably Tales of Destiny 1 and 2 uh, were probably my Uh, bigger pickups Yeah, I forgot about those, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) My, my poor Tales of Destiny 1 is still sitting on the shelf new. I bought it when it was discounted out for $10 at um, Biggs. Um, nice, dude. I picked up like Tales of Destiny, um, Dragon Quest. or uh, Was it still Dragon Warrior 7? Uh, I think it's 7. Dragon it Quest. Dragon I think it was your Quest. Then. Yeah. And then they changed it to Dragon Quest. I picked that one up. And I think like three other PlayStation 1 games that all of them was open up except for Tales. Because it was like. They were all for $10 a piece being discounted out. And I'm like, I'll eventually play those. And Tales, I've just never got around to playing. And now I'm like, crap, should I sell off the new copy? Because <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. stupid shrink wrap is like $120 right. difference between the open copy. I definitely would. Yeah. 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 Who's the bastard now, Sean? Ah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's even worse. My PlayStation 1 collection, I think, is uh, 600 strong. Oh, that's nice, man. Because I've collected the complete long box set. I think uh, that was, what, a couple years ago when I was bragging about that. So I got the long box set. 
I've got all the gun-based games, and I got all of the RPGs. Very nice, And man. those are my subsets of, on PlayStation. All right. Well, speaking of pickups, Doug, what are some uh, more of the recent pickups that you've gotten? Um, Actually, I got it sitting right here. Most recent one, which is not saying much because it was like three or four months ago, it was a power drift for the Saturn. It was a Japanese-only release of the arcade game. Pretty decent arcade port, I would say. I've not played it yet on my um, my challenge, but it's definitely it's one I'm, I'm looking forward to attempting to beat. Very nice. For newer consoles, my copy of Golf Story from Limited Run Games came in from the Switch. Very cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I've not got to open that one up yet and play that because uh, I've been playing the Pokemon. Yeah, here it's a great game, and it's a game that I would love to have. I've been debating whether I was going to pick it up or not. I don't own a Switch yet, but it's kind of one of those things where I feel like it's going to happen at some point, so I should go ahead and get it. I'm hoping that maybe it comes out on another console. Did you see that Golf Story is the first one that Limited Run Games is selling at Best Buy now? It's just an alternative cover, so that way people right. that bought from the site get something special. Yeah, Sean and I talked about that. I think it was two shows ago. So okay. shame on you, Doug, for not listening. <sighs> yeah, with all my extra time. <laughs> don't listen to uh, I do I try to care. listen whenever I can. Yeah, I had to bust your balls there. Yeah, yeah it's all right. <laughs> I get the clip note version on the site. All right, man. Anything else? Um, no, those are my big guys. I think I hit up GameStop for their anything $5 or less. Give four copies for $10. I always will grab anything I don't own when I have those deals. Just because after my discount, there's like $9 for four games. Might as well grab them. Right on, man. All right, Sean, who's going next, man? You or I? I know you've got kind of a special one if it has come in yet. It has, and I will talk about it. So if you think that that's the winner this month, maybe you should go first and I'll take it home. I'll do that, man, because it's a huge pickup for you. And you're, you know, you're the guy that doesn't pick up a lot of stuff. So I, right. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and go. Speaking of limited run games, I picked up a copy of Enter the Gungeon. Now, this wasn't done by limited run games. It doesn't have a number on it, but it was just a special edition that they produced. And, you know, you were able to buy it off their site. So uh, that's a uh, kind of a twin stick shooter. And I grabbed that for PS4. I also grabbed a copy of Crystal Quest for the Game Boy. This is one I found for a great price. This game you don't see very much. It's a shooter for the Game Boy. It was on my short list of remaining Game Boy games that I would like to have. Not going for a complete collection of Game Boy. Wasn't something I really had as a kid. My brother did. But uh, I really still enjoy that system a lot. I mentioned that I had picked up some PS1 games at a great price. Along with Crystal Quest, I also picked up a copy of Echo Knight and Punky Skunk, which is a game that a lot of people don't see very much. And uh, was very, very happy to get those, along with a copy for the Super Famicom of Gokujo Parodius. And I'm hoping I'm not butchering that too bad, but it's one of the three, I think, Parodius games on the Super Famicom. And just happened to pick it up locally again. You know, one of those things you're like, wow, is that really here? I know I need two of the other Parodius games. Is this one that's still on my list? It happened to be, and uh, like I said, grabbed it for a good price. This month I also got in a copy of Mappy that I ordered that was produced by Atari Age 
for the 2600. Mappy is one of my favorite, and I definitely wanted to have it for the 2600, which is one of my favorite systems of all time and the first system I ever owned. So I'm really interested in seeing how this port is. Box work and the artwork, just simply beautiful and stunning. If you follow me on Twitter, I posted a picture of this the other day. And then my last two pickups... Everyone knows that I'm really into pinball. Pinball is something, you know, I've been working on and collecting for quite a long time. I had an Elvira and the Party Monsters pinball machine that I picked up in late April. I enjoyed the game, but it wasn't one that was on my list of games that I would really, really like to own. It just so happened that I put it up for sale, and a guy contacted me, was interested in it, and he actually had two games that were on my wish list, William's Grand Lizard, uh, which is a really cool game. And some of you probably know this game because they actually came out with it on the Nintendo, so classic it's called Pinbot, and I picked up a pretty decent-looking Pinbot, and it also came with another Pinbot machine that I could use to pull parts off of. came with a new play field, new plastics, new ramps. So this is going to be a very, very beautiful machine when I get finished with it. So I'll have one very nice machine and maybe even able to build a second one out of what I have that would be more like a player's machine. So, uh, yeah, really excited to have these games and uh, work on those and get them fixed up and put them in the lineup. I had a few other games that I picked up as well, but I'm going to hold off on those because they're under my What Are You Playing section. So uh, I'm going to kick it over to Sean for his pickups. Nice. Well, first, I want to say I'm a little bit jealous of that Echo Knight. I'm not exactly still looking for a physical copy because I actually have it on my PS3 digitally because it is on the PSN store and I got it on one of the sales, you know, when it was like $2 or whatever. And uh, our listeners might be interested to know, or you might be, that there is an Echo Knight 2 that only came out in Japan, but there is a fan translation out there. So if you know how to play patched PS1 ISOs, you can play Echo Knight 2. Very cool. So yeah, my scores, I'll start with something small and then just escalate to what I (laughs) sold to Rich as my biggest, what possibly could be the biggest score of my lifetime. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly true, but it's, it's huge. Um, so first of all, like a lot of collectors, I feel like I have to have two of everything. You know, I have two PS3s, I have two Xbox 360s, I gotta have two of everything, you know, in case one breaks, right? So I have two PSPs. I have a PSP 1000 and a PSP 3000. And my 3000 is still in perfect tip-top working order, but my 1000 was kind of crappy when I bought it off of eBay a few years ago, and the thumbstick was kind of malfunctioning, and it wouldn't go in the right directions when you wanted it to, which could be really troublesome. And it, it was just kind of falling apart physically. And I happen to really like the PSP 1000 in particular because it's very uh, rugged compared to the other models. It's heavier. um, You know, I have bigger hands, so it feels more comfortable in my hands. So anyway, I've been browsing on eBay for a a replacement PSP 1000 for a long time. And uh, I just so happened to find a Japanese... PSP 1000 with no battery, but that's no issue because I can just take the battery out of my other one. 
And since it's coming from Japan, a lot of our listeners probably know that the used game market in Japan is very strict. If something's not in perfect condition, it's like junked most of the time. And、uh, they had on this auction, it said the power switch does not work every time, it is guaranteed to work only one out of five times. <laughs> I thought,、uh, okay, so. It doesn't. The statistics for you. Right, right. So it doesn't have a battery, <laughs> and the power switch might be a little finicky. And、uh, the reason that all of this is noteworthy is because it was $19.99. So $20 bucks、mm. for this thing. You can't get a replacement screen for that.、Uh, yeah, exactly. And so I grabbed it. I figured, okay, I'm taking a gamble. The pictures look nice or whatever. But I tell you, I got it. I put the battery in it, I put a new memory card in it. It didn't even need to be cleaned up. I actually just switched the thumbstick with my old one because it was in slightly better condition. And、uh, yeah, it's just great. I haven't had the power switch not work once in the whole time I've been messing with it. So, whatever issues they were having, I'm not having them. So, yeah, I got a PSP 1000. Now, that score in particular, I probably wouldn't mention that on the air except for that. I got a nice surprise Christmas parcel in the mail from Single Banana. And what was included in there, amongst other things, was the limited run edition carrying case for the PlayStation Vita, which is awesome in and of itself. But why this is important to my PSP 1000 is because I was looking for a carrying case for my PSP 1000. And what I did was, I put the Vita in the new limited run carrying case, which is awesome. And then I put the PSP 1000 into the old carrying case that my Vita was in. So now all is right with the world, and all my handhelds are <laughs> nicely protected in zippered cases. So thank you for that, Rich. That was a really awesome surprise. And I opened it with my wife, and we were looking at everything, and she was very excited by some of the other things that were in there. And, um, I'm not going to go into all the details, but it was just very thoughtful of you and very unique to receive that stuff. So thank you very much. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to send you something to say thanks. It's、uh, really awesome doing the show. And, you know, you and I are friends off the air and、uh, kind of talk back and forth about personal things sometimes. And I just wanted to、uh, let you know that I appreciate it, man. And,、uh, Yeah, the limited run thing. It's a black case, but I had a choice to get the lettering in blue or neon pink. And of course, for Sean, I went with neon pink because I knew he would appreciate that more. <laughs> Absolutely, I do. And it, like I said, the timing couldn't have been better because I was able to just kind of rearrange the casing of all my handhelds. So it was perfect. What's your game gear in? Oh, I don't have a game gear.、Oh, I don't have one either, man. I sold all I mine. I had like three at one time. I have 12 game gears. <laughs> no, God. I would agree. You guys some recapped ones. I love the software. I just find it's better emulated. If I had one, I would only want it for Shining Force. That would be the only reason I would want to have one, really. Well, and that Shining Force is on the Sega CD. The Shining、uh, Force CD, that's the okay, same thing. I have it then. Oh,、yeah. uh, okay. So, bringing me to my ultimate score and、uh, something that is just so awesome and I'm so excited to talk about, I got an email a couple weeks ago from our good friend Disposed Hero, 
Stephen, who I've known for years and I knew before I talked him into joining RFGeneration.com. And I don't think I've ever told this story, but I actually met him on a trading site. Rich, we were talking a couple months ago about those trading sites like Guzex and all the other ones that aren't around anymore. But that's actually how I met Stephen. And I got an email from him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, hey, man, I bought Persona 3 and Persona 5 dancing, whatever it's called. It's the new dancing game with the Persona characters in it. And he said, I'm not really into it. Uh, are you interested? And I said, yes, I am. Please just hold on to it for me. I don't know if I have anything now, and I don't want to spend money. So just hold on to it. So it took me a couple days and I just went and looked on his trade thread and I said, all right, I got to come up with some trade bait for this Persona game so we can just swap a couple games with each other. And I looked and he had a PlayStation VR Skyrim bundle on his thread and I could have sworn he had gotten rid of it a long time ago. It looked like, oh, is that still just sitting on his thread and he forgot to delete it? Like, I could have sworn he had told me he got rid of it. So I, I shot him an email. Hey, do you still have that VR bundle? And he was like, yeah. So I said, uh, I'm interested in that and all the games you have for it. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so long story short, it took an email thread back and forth between he and I that was approaching 40 email messages <laughs> by the time we finally finalized the deal. And I was nervous about this. I sent him approximately $500 worth of games in a medium flat rate box. Oh, wow. uh, it's, it's been a long time since I actually paid for the extra insurance on a mail piece, but I certainly did it this time because I needed to make sure that got to him safely. And uh, in return, I got uh, the PlayStation VR Skyrim bundle and about a dozen games with it and the gun, which apparently is not easy to find, uh, according to a friend of mine who works at GameStop. He doesn't see it very often. So uh, I got the gun, which is cool. So our listeners can remember back to our infamous drunken, uh, uh, what the E3 episode that we did that was like 17 hours long, where I just kept saying, PlayStation VR, take my money. I can't wait. Take my money. So now here we are in uh, the end of 2018, and I finally have PlayStation VR, and I didn't have to spend any money on it because I did a straight up legendary trade with my good friend disposed hero that's beautiful yeah and in your defense you did say that but it was a little more slurry oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so that's it playstation vr finally i have it awesome man i'm happy for you i know that's been a long time coming you've always wanted to try it out so uh you gotta let me know what you think on the next episode well, I'll give you a little bit of impressions and what are you playing? And I obviously I want to shout out Stephen, former co-host on the show. You know, I always thought I treat all of my games like museum pieces. The stuff he sent me seems like it's never been used. And for all I know, he might have never used it. I wouldn't be surprised because it was like 
perfectly in the box as if it was brand new. So shout out to everybody who just takes care of their stuff, man. Like <laughs> it, yeah. it is so appreciated. Uh, but yeah, all this stuff was just like new condition. So it's, it's just so awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I uh, probably go back to his thread and check it more than any other thread on RF Generation, except the ones that, you know, I'm running. His for sale thread is awesome and uh, always excited when he posts new stuff. Very cool, man. Great pickups. All right. Well, let's move on over into what are you playing? So tell us, Doug, what you playing, man? Well, um, I don't know. Some of you guys know that I do uh, my Saturn Challenge stream on Twitch. And so right now I'm there. I'm playing uh, Sonic 3D Blast. Okay, cool. I wish I could like target or at least rotate the screen. It's not an easy game to play. And for fun, <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing Assassin's Creed Syndicate because it was one of the uh, Xbox Live games free for like uh, I guess a few months ago. I haven't got around to play it. And it's one uh, I, I like that time period. Mm-hmm. You know, like I guess that takes place around in the mid 1800s in London. It's really fun to see all the historical characters they try to throw into these games. Now, is is that the one with the brother and the sister? That yeah, you, the brother yeah. and the sister. So yeah. obviously that piqued my interest because you play at least part of the time as a female character. But um, right. I, I had heard that that was one of the better games of recent Assassin's Creed. And I think I have that in my Games with Gold queue as well. So it's good to hear that you're enjoying it. I didn't want to play the, the, the boats games. I tried them on Assassin's Creed 3, and I didn't like trying to control the boat and fire. I'm like, this isn't why I'm playing Assassin's Creed. So I kind of skipped pretty much 3 until Syndicate because they had boats and everything else. <laughs> and uh, at least I haven't ran into any yet on Syndicate. Nice, man. I've never played an Assassin's Creed game, so uh, that might be one to put in the old uh, bank for uh, the playthroughs. What do you think, Sean? Not a bad idea. Maybe we could play Syndicate. Mm, yeah. With the open world concept, though, that one might take a while. We have to look at the completion. I think the first one or two can be beaten quicker because they are more linear, less open world, run around and grab everything type games. Right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. All right. Sean, what you playing, man? So I can't stop playing Jean d'Arc. I, I mean, I'm really into the PSP right now. Like I said, I just got a new one, so I'm all messing with it and putting games on it and stuff. So, But I'm still playing Jean d'Arc despite my best efforts to put it down and take a break from it. I've discovered methods of power leveling all the characters, so I'll go into the free battles and just massacre everybody. Like I'll, I'll set up a free battle where I'm just putting one person on the map like taking all the skill stones that you can assign to any character you want and putting the best ones on one character and just having them go out and beat every single enemy you get all the experience and you just power level you go up like eight levels on a map so i'm trying to break the game because i'm almost to the end of it basically (laughs) (laughs) like i know there's eight chapters and i'm in chapter six right now so i'm approaching the end game and uh I just can't put it down. So I'm still playing Jean d'Arc. I also tried to play a game called Dead to Rights, which is a sixth generation game. Came out on the PC, PS2, original Xbox. 
but it's on the Xbox One backwards compatibility list for original Xbox. So I picked up a copy off of eBay for $3 with free shipping, disc only, and um, I started playing it and I was having a really good time with it. It was just like a dumb shooter where you can use this dog to insta-kill the enemies and it was just really fun and stupid. But then I reached a point where you had to complete these impossible mini games and I ended up quitting the game. And this gives me an opportunity to plug my article, which is not up right now in real time, but it will be up by the time you hear this. By the time this episode airs, it'll have been up. And I intended to review Dead to Rights, but instead I wrote an article about what is my threshold for quitting a game that I've invested (laughs) uh, quite a few hours into and just kind of exploring what makes you stick with a game and just balls through like a really hard point or what makes you just rage quit. And that also ties into our question of the month, which we'll get to in a little bit. So (laughs) I thought it was a perfect... uh, confluence of things coming together with that game and then uh of course over the last couple of days i've been playing all the vr stuff like i said steven sent me like a stack of games so i haven't been able to get to most of them because when you plug it in and install the vr it actually downloads a game called um vr playroom i think it's called And uh, some of the games on there are just a total blast. And uh, I've been just playing those. I played a little bit of Drive Club VR, which is an amazing driving experience. And uh, finally, last night, I put the helmet on my wife and I had her (laughs) just running around. And it was kind of funny because I said, you got to try this. It's just amazing. It will blow your mind. I very carefully put the helmet on her and sat her down and told her what to expect and everything. And she starts playing uh, this cute little game called Robot Rescue or Rescue Robots, I can't remember. And it's just like a Ratchet and Clank type platform game where you're just moving a robot around. But as soon as it started, she said, I can't do this. I feel dizzy. And I was like, oh, no. All right. Well, this was a fun idea. And I was like, do you want to stop? And she was like, no, wait, no. What is it? Oh, this is a cute little bro. Okay, what do I have to do? Oh, move him. how do I jump? And I was like, okay, so she's not that dizzy because she she just got like really drawn into it. And we ended up, she ended up playing through that whole little demo and, and it was really awesome. Uh, so yeah, I've been uh, obviously playing a lot of VR stuff as well as Lunar Nights, which is our game for January, and it's awesome as well. I can't yes, wait to talk it about is. it next month. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's it for me. I'll just bounce off that and say that playing Lunar Nights, too, made it through the first two chapters and uh, having a lot of fun with it so far. And, you know, can't wait to discuss it on the forums and in the call. So, yeah, should be great. And uh, the segue into the games that I'm playing, uh, I'm also playing a game with a dog. My buddy Cameron, who does the music for our show, the opening and end credits, he came over last night. He's home for Christmas from Nashville, Tennessee, and he wanted to get together. And of course, anytime that we're together, we're up in my game room and we're typically playing Sega Genesis games. We had a great time last night. And uh, if it wasn't for him coming over, I probably couldn't talk about any of the games that I played this month other than Lunar Nights because I've been so busy with the uh, golf tournament. All right. But I mentioned I was playing a game with a dog and I picked up a completely 
complete in-box copy of Shadow Dancer for the Genesis. Uh, this is a Shinobi game, as many of you probably know, and we got into that last night and uh, beat probably about four or five levels. Uh, had a lot of fun with that. You can uh, use a dog in the game to attack enemies, and it just basically kind of holds them up and swings from their neck until you can, uh, you know, throw a star or whatever at the enemies or hit them. So, uh, yeah, pretty neat mechanic. It's one of those games that's not overly tough, but it does require a little bit of memorization as you go through the level, because a lot of stuff doesn't change. And um, it's one that, you know, I can see myself maybe even beating in the future. And then another game that we actually played was one called First Samurai. Now, this isn't for the Genesis. This is a game that I found for the Super Nintendo. And uh, it was one of my pickups this month as well. It's a platformer. And you play as a samurai with a sword, of course. The jump mechanics are a little bit floaty, but it's very Japanese as far as its history, as far as the enemies that you're fighting. And even though we couldn't beat the first level boss... We still had a lot of fun with it. It's just kind of one of those games where people knock on it and say it's not that great. But it has some really, really cool mechanics. And uh, if you can find it for cheap, I would definitely say pick up the platformer First Samurai. Neat game. And then one of my bigger pickups that I got at an extraordinary price. Uh, this is a game I've been looking for for the Super Nintendo. It's called Spike McFang. I can't think of what the actual full title is. But... Uh, I would say it's like an RPG adventure game. And you play as this little kid vampire known as Spike McFang. And, you know, you can hit enemies by spinning around or by tossing your hat at them as well. It's really neat. You're trying to save a guy that has been stolen by Van Helsing. <laughs> That's sort of the plot. You know, it's one of these RPGs that has like little towns and stuff that you can go into. The enemies are like bulbs of garlic because you're a vampire. And it's just, you know, it's just really cute. Very Japanese. And it's one that has really gone up in price over the last few years, but was one that was very much under the radar until then. I think it's called The Twisted Tales of Spike McFang is the name of it. I would definitely highly recommend picking up a copy of this game. Sean, I think it's something that you would really enjoy. Nice. I'll have to check it out. What platform was that one on? Uh, it's on Super Nintendo. Okay, cool. I'll look it up. So I picked up my only PAL game for my Genesis, and my PAL game happens to be Second Samurai. The sequel oh. to First Samurai. Did yeah. not know there was a sequel to that, man. Yeah, That's really a cool. Sequel. I know it's on the Genesis, and I think it was on a few other systems, too. Okay. But it was never released in the U.S. So it was one of those, like, cool, I'm not to pick that up. I guess technically I have Zero Wing, which is PAL release. Mm -hmm. But two PAL games out of 800 plus games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big library. It is. Thank <laughs> you. 
So we're going to move into Game Talk, and of course, December is our competition month, and this time we decided to do a golf tournament where we got members from our site, broke them up into different teams, trying to see who can come up with the lowest score for the month, and uh, most people are having a really good time with this challenge, but I know that for some, there's been a lot of frustration, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, but for our question of the month... We went with, tell us about your worst rage quit moment. Doug, I'm going to kick it over to you. Tell us about uh, your worst rage quit. <laughs> worst rage quit. All right. So shameless plugging my Saturn challenge again. Now, I was playing NHL hockey all-stars or something like that. One of the NHL hockey games on the Saturn. And it was broken. I just couldn't score no matter what the hell I did. Oh, I was so mad. And... um. <laughs> <laughs> so on stream i'm just like i'm done and i just walked away and i think my chair sat here and streamed by itself for about a half hour till i came back and i eventually said i'm done this game i can't win and um i went on to another game and then the other console challenge guys one named sharpie that's doing sega genesis and another one called Enday that's doing uh dreamcast came on and said well you just might as well just quit your challenge if you're going to not beat that game so they hounded me, and and finally I'm like, fine. And I think it took me an hour and a half to win one match oh, man. on this hockey game. And this is having two-minute quarters. And I was so mad at this game. I'm like, this game is never going to see the light of day again. It's going on my shelf, on the back side of my shelf. But that was probably my worst. These golf games are making me rage a little bit, but... Right. That was probably the worst. <laughs> All right. So you're not a chucker, huh? You haven't thrown a controller or oh, done anything like no, that before? I, I, don't, I don't throw my controllers. I scream at the TV and then walk away for a minute. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> yeah, I try not to break my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say the same thing. <laughs> I've never broken anything as far as controller-wise, but uh, yeah, I have chucked a few and had to check them out to make sure they were still working, so... All right, Sean, how about you? What is your worst rage quit moment? I have a lot that aren't memorable, but I <laughs> I, <laughs> I used to be very much a controller chucker, and my go-to rating of a game that is very hard is controller chuckingly difficult. I use that. <laughs> I do use that <laughs> phrase when I'm just describing a, a very hard game. But thankfully, I haven't done that in a very long time. And in fact, my wife tells me that she thinks I'm a very patient person, which is kind of amazing because I consider myself to be quite emotional sometimes. And I feel like I do wear my heart on my sleeve and that it's something I need to work on. But uh, it's kind of wild to think about what was actually my worst rage quit moment and what it was was i was playing a game called area 51 on the playstation 2 
which is a science fiction-y first-person shooter that has kind of a comedy element to it. And uh, it's a really fun and entertaining game. But when I got to the last level, I just couldn't beat it. And I was so, like, geared up to beat the game. I was having a great time with it. I knew I was at the final level. And uh, I just couldn't get through it. And for the first and only time in my life, I ripped the disc out of the PlayStation 2 and cracked it with my bare hands. And uh, I've... I've never done that before or since, and I feel like that was one of the darker moments in my life because I thought, you know, this is just a video game, and I had a really physically violent reaction to it. I just really hope I never treat a human being or an animal this way, you know? Like, the fact that I had that rage within me over a stupid video game... It was an example of me peering into the darkness of my own heart, and it was very scary. <laughs> I, I think it's more common than you probably think. And, uh, you know, a lot of us have always had that moment, especially when it comes to video games. They're so frustrating. And, you know, I, I think all of us can separate frustration of a game and taking it out on a controller or a game as far as taking it out on another person or an animal or something like that, you know, even though we get out of control about something as silly as a game, you know, I think when it comes to something living or, you know, something we really, really care about, we're not going to go in that direction. I can see your point, though. When you get those games like, like Area 51, where it's got a nice, steady difficulty going through the entire game, and then you get to the very end and you just throw it out of proportions in the rest of the game, it's like, why? Why do you troll me like this? This is awful. Yeah. I, I know exactly the feeling you're talking about. Uh, I've played a lot of, of games on the Saturn that they've seemed to do that. They're like, they just forgot what they were doing. It's like, oh, well, let's just make this proportionally more difficult than anything else in the game. Yep. Well, my rage quit moment, I'll go ahead and tell this story. I think I've probably already told it before on the show uh, during our January I want to say two years ago, event where we played Kid Icarus. And I'm pretty positive that was the game that I was playing at the time, if memory serves me correctly. I was playing it, and as most people know, Kid Icarus is a very frustrating game from the onset. But once you you know get some power-ups, start making it through the game, you know, the mood lightens up and the game gets a little bit easier. But anyway, I got frustrated with this game at some point. And I had one of these metal folding chairs in my room that I would game with. I remember, like, first chucking the controller, I think, into the side of my dresser where my TV was sitting on. And then standing up, turning around, and I kicked the front of the chair, the folding chair. And the chair folded up, and it just sat there for what seemed like five minutes straight up in the air. And then it suddenly fell backwards and tilted right into my bedroom window and broke the glass on my oh, bedroom man. window. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't think my parents knew what really happened. I know I made up some BS about what really happened and did not blame it on the video game system for fear of, uh, you know, losing my privileges with that. So uh, I, I kind of have to admit that now. I know my mom and dad. Don't listen to the show anyway, so uh, 
<laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was my biggest rage quit moment. Something that was completely accidental, but like you said, Sean, a scary moment where you're like, wow, I just did that. That's completely ridiculous, you know? Yeah. So, Sean, you posted this question up on social media. Did you have any responses to that? We did have one Twitter response. It came from the Retro Lectors, and that's at Retro Lectors. And they said... Call of Duty World at War single player veteran difficulty. Once I completed it, I tossed the disc across the room. Now that's similar to mine, except for he actually beat the game and then rage quit. So I thought that was very interesting. And he only tossed it across the room. He didn't name the game. Exactly. (laughs) I kind of replay the Area 51 thing in my head. If I had beaten it, I'd take the disc out and hold it over my head and say, I did it. (laughs) You know? Right. (laughs) Like a uh, piece of Triforce. Right, right. (laughs) That was the one Twitter response we got. And uh, there was one on the forum, too. You want to, do you have that one? I do have it pulled up right now, actually. Cool. It's by uh, our good buddy, Metal Fro. He said, two nights ago, while playing Mario Golf, I made the foolish choice to try and achieve par or under on the first six holes, and I wasn't going to be satisfied with my performance until then. I ended up restarting my GameCube after the fourth or fifth hole 10 to 12 times while practicing, each time getting up from the couch and loudly exclaiming, nope, each time I got up. After the final try, I gave up and stomped off, feeling as though the game had got the better of me. <laughs> Nobody told him that you could just reset it by holding the all the face buttons and the L and R. Oh, see, I didn't know that either. I know you can do that with hot shots, but I did not know you could do that with Mario Golf. Yeah, Mario Golf, it does the same way. I did that a lot on Mario Golf, too. <laughs> I sympathize with Josh on the, nope, I do that all the time, all the time. If I know I'm going to die or if I know I'm going to miss that shot or whatever I'm doing in a game, and and when you just know it's not going to happen, nope. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, let's go ahead and get into the games. These are golf games, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but I do want to kind of rattle off the stats because I I feel like we do that for every other game that we played, and I I feel like we shouldn't just kind of push these games to the side, that we should give them the credit that they deserve. The first game we played uh, from days 1 to 10 was Neo Turf Masters. Uh, This was developed by Nazca Corp, published by SNK, and it was first released by Neo Geo in 1996 for the arcade MVS and for the home console AES. Uh, it has realistic characters with different attributes, and it's also available on the Neo CD SNK compilation, which is called SNK Arcade Classics Volume 1. This is available on the PS2, the PSP, and the Wii, and you can also download Neo Turf Masters. I think last price check was around 10 bucks. It also came out on the Neo Geo Pocket Color, but from what I understand, the sprites are a lot more cartoony, and I don't believe it's quite the same game. The game that we played in uh, our second segment, that was from days 11 to 20, was Mario Golf Toadstool Tour. This was developed by Camelot Software Planning. Uh, It was published by Nintendo and released in North America and Japan in 2003 for the GameCube. Uh, Of course, it features the lovable characters that we all know from the Super Mario Brothers franchise. And uh, a few unlockables that I understand were not in the Mario franchise, but basically characters located in 
in the Nintendo universe. Right now, we are on our final game, and that's from the 21st to the 30th of December. We are playing Hot Shots Golf 4. This game was developed by Clap Hands, and it was published by Sony Computer Entertainment. In Japan, it's known as Everybody's Golf 4, and that's sort of the name of the series, and I think there's actually Everybody's Golf is out on the PS4, so there's a newer version of these games. It was released in Japan in 2003 and North America in 2004. This game also features some cartoony and silly animated characters and is, you know, a fairly technical game, much like all three games in the series, right, that we played. So uh, I wanted to uh, get you guys' thoughts on these games, and I thought all three of us could maybe rank them as, you know, as far as one through three and what our favorite and least favorite games are, and maybe if you want to say a few words about each game, you can. Doug, you're our guest, so I'll start with you. Least favorite so far is Hot Shots. Yeah? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's driving me nuts. I finished one full 18 holes, and um, at least like with um, Mario or my Neo Turf Master, I can stop the game, come back to it later. I can't find a freaking way to save Hot Shots. So like, I've had to walk away and take care of the kids, and I just have to turn off the system. Because I can't save it, so I've only finished one round of it, even though I've played it for a few hours. <laughs> so that's driving me nuts on that game. Yeah. Um, also, uh, I, I don't like the silly, stereotypical-type comments the characters make. Yes. They're kind of annoying. Yeah, they're a little and, abrasive in today's world, of course. They are. Oh, also, just uh, one other thing about uh, Neo Turf Master Golf. Uh, the Neo Geo CD. It's actually called uh, Big Tournament Golf. Okay. It was the same game. It just had a different name for some reason. Sorry. That was just one thing I made a note of I wanted to mention. No, thanks for pointing that out. Then number two, Neo Turf Masters. Okay. Um, I like it, but it's very arcadey. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember why and how it was designed. It was made to be a, a quarter gobbler. Mm-hmm. And then Mario Golf is my favorite among those. Okay. So there's my rating. Turf Masters really wasn't too bad. The one thing I did get annoyed with on some of the holes on Turf Masters is that it decided to change water hazard to out of balance on certain holes. Mm-hmm. So if you if you made it in the water on some holes, you'd only get one penalty and it drop the ball close to the water and you just hit it again. Other holes, it was like, oh, you made it in the water, you're out of balance. We're going to now make you take the shot all over again. Mm. And to me, that was kind of like, okay, guys, that programming shouldn't have been that hard. <laughs> yeah. That's the only reason why Turf Masters wasn't number one. Mario Golf is a pretty well-balanced game. I, I like it. Shoot, though, man, when it rains on a course, that takes my birdie down to a double bogey. Yeah. You got to <laughs> put the ball really hard. That rain really you affects. You do. Yeah. And then it's like you, you might estimate it too hard, and then you just hit it off the green, and you're like, really? <sighs> so far, yeah, that's... That's how I'm feeling. I think that with the Hot Shot series, they improved it better with the uh, Vita release. Mm-hmm. That release was really well done. I, I've, I've played that quite a bit, and I like that. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I haven't played that one before, um, but I do have both Hot Shots games that were released for PSP, but you said there was a Vita release? I think it was called um, International or World Championship International. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I mean, it's like $5. It was one of those $5 games I got at GameStop when I get those bundles. And I put it in. I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Hot Shot series, so I'll have to check that out. So thanks. Appreciate that recommendation. No problem. All right, Sean, you want to rate these uh, from your least favorite to your favorite and tell us why? 
Sure. My least favorite also is Hot Shots 4. And it's just because I was like kind of burnt out by the time I got to it yeah. and not willing to put in any time to better my score. And, you know, I did post a score that wasn't great. And I'm not going to go play this game more, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, because of the experience that I had with my second least favorite or the middle favorite game, which was Turf Masters. And, uh, I said on the forum, I was the one who insisted that we play Neo Turf Masters because I just remember <laughs> it being like the, you know, the quintessential golf game. Sure. And uh, it is an amazing game. I stand by that. But man, I didn't know what it would be like to try to get a good score on this game mm -hmm. and uh, talk about rage quitting, man. Let me reenact a moment that I had. Uh, yeah, our listeners have to hear this because you, you put something up, up on the forums. And uh, I don't know if your wife listens to the show or not, but you have to talk about that yeah. that moment and what you did. I was playing and raging and playing and raging on the PS2. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't just the aforementioned, nope, like, you know, you miss a shot. <laughs> nope, start over again. At one point, I did a drive that went straight into a bunker and the game goes, great shot. And I said, it wasn't a great shot. It went in the bunker. <laughs> so my wife comes out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my wife and I have a policy. We don't tell each other what to do. But she said, I really don't like you playing this game. And... <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what? You're right. I'm going to take a break. So I did take a short break. And uh, then I started playing the game on the PSP because I couldn't stop. And I said, I have to get a better score. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't know you were playing and it. She either. didn't know. So I continued playing on the PSP <laughs> secretly. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Did you notice the lag difference on the PSP to PS2? There must have been something. You know what? I'm not super sensitive to lag, but I I buy your theory that the lag is really bad on Hot Shots 4. And I should say that I'm playing off the SD card on my soft modded PS2 with a wireless controller on a 4K TV. So the lag stars are lining up when I play on the PS2. So I don't know how much I noticed it in Turf Masters, but obviously I got a better score on the PSP because that's how I got my... I forget what it was, five under or seven under, whatever I posted yeah. for Turf Masters, I got on the PSP. So yeah, that was what really set me off on like, oh my God, this has me pulling my hair out. Um, <laughs> but thank God the next game we played was Toadstool Tour because that's my favorite game that we've played. And I had my frustrations with that as well. I had a couple botched rounds where I, much like Metal Fro, I thought I was doing well and then just totally lost it and had to scrap an entire round but um it was much easier for me to put up a respectable five under as my official score it only took me like three full rounds to get to that point and i was like you know what this game was very pleasant i'm gonna leave it at that i'm not and again i'm not gonna try and improve and just kill myself trying to get a better score for a couple more strokes so and i did mention on the forum mario golf is a game that I will probably pick up and play again when I want a nice, relaxing uh, round of golf. So that was my favorite. Do you have um, the uh, Game Boy Advance version of Mario Golf? I do. And the Game Boy Color yeah. one as well, I think I have. 
I played a little bit of the Game Boy Advance one. That's the one that's kind of like an RPG, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And same with the color, really. They have some RPG elements. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think, if I recall, the Game Boy Advance one, you can link it up to the GameCube version using the link cable oh, and transfer cool. your uh, golfer that you've put time into. Another little tidbit of useless information. <laughs> <laughs> I would say useful. Oh, that's what we live for. Useful, we lo- yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, so, Rich, what about you, man? Oh, man, I'm totally the opposite from you two guys. It's, it's funny. You guys had the same exact order. Yeah. yeah, man, my least favorite of these is Mario Golf Toadstool Tour. I don't know what it was. Uh, I'd never played this game before, and it's the one of the three that I'd never played prior to the event. For me, it always comes down to putting, because I think like that's where you're going to gain or lose the most strokes. I'm always great keeping the ball in the fairways. I usually have awesome approach shots in all these games. I love golf games. I'm not a big sports game player, but for some reason, something about the precision and the mathematics and, you know, just adjusting for how much club you need or adjusting for wind or weather. I I just love that kind of stuff. I think it's just so well thought out and cool. But with Mario Goff, I just thought the putting was horrendous. And uh, that's why I really struggled with that game uh, more than I'm struggling with the other two games. Uh, I haven't posted a hot shot score yet. I've put up some decent scores, but I'm not where I want to be as far as posting a score. So I've kind of held back on that. But um, I would say Mario Golf would be last for me. Uh, Turf Masters, I liked a lot. It's really technical and... Uh, I like the realism of the game, even though I typically prefer cartoony games. I thought the putting in this was a little difficult, too. It wasn't as uh, accurate. There are some places where you had hills and stuff, and then when you hit it up the hill, the ball would kind of move left or right. And even though that's accurate, there was really no way to know which way the ball was going to go. And so I found that the putting in that difficult, but I really did like the accuracy of the shots in that game as compared to the Mario Golf Toadstool Tour, which, again, I, I had quite a bit of difficulty with in figuring out. And then my number one pick is Hot Shots Golf 4. I think it's kind of the best of all the worlds, for me anyway. I feel like it's very technical. I feel like the green reading is so much better. I make so many more putts in this game. You know, my approach shots, I'm having a little more trouble with, so I'm having to sink some longer putts sometimes. But I always feel like, as opposed to Mario Golf, I'll be sort of close to the hole and be like, okay, you have like a six-foot putt. Whereas if I'm close to the hole of Mario Golf, the same distance, it'll be like, okay, you've got an 18, 20-foot putt. It's just kind of strange as far as how that works out. But I'm a big fan of the three-button system, and this is the game that has that three-button system in it when, you know, when swinging. And... uh It's just the game I prefer the most out of the three. And I know that I'm probably in the minority with most people in this, but I think it has a lot to do with Hot Shots Golf was one of the first games that I played on the PS2. And I really just fell in love with that series and, you know, the characters. And even though some of their comments obviously are very off-putting, it's probably something that I didn't notice at the time that I do now. Um... I think it's a fun series. I like the unlockables and stuff like that and how you can play the mirrored courses in it, which is, you know, something we didn't do for this challenge. Basically said you have to use all the default characters and we pick courses that were not unlockable so that people could just pick up the game and play. That was one of the better decisions I made in this tournament. 
One of the things that I have written down is talk about your overall thoughts on the tournament so far and things that you are enjoying and maybe some issues that you're having with it. So I'll kind of save my thoughts for that. But, uh, you know, I'll let Doug go first and talk about those things. All right. So um, the the reason why I was mentioned about the lag on uh, Neo Turf Masters was because I have the MVS in my basement. And oh, so wow. I was playing nice. <laughs> that first. Right. So I'm like, OK, you're very accurate. And then I come over on the PS2. I'm like, I don't play this because I can stream this. I went to go play it on the PS2, and I was missing the shots. I was just not hitting the button at the right time. I'm like, this is awful. It felt just like two different games. So that's why I was like, okay, that's probably what the problem is. PS2 lag. And, you know, some people don't realize it, but when you go from the actual arcade to a port on a console, yeah, you can really see a difference. Now, with Hot Shots Golf, why I didn't care for it as much as you do, that three-button hit, I don't feel like it's the same each hit. So like with Mario Golf, if you wanted to use the B button, you had the three button hit or you could mm-hmm. do the fast fan or whatever. I felt that it was always the same. You get in the rhythm like, okay, I'm going to hit a full swing. This is my rhythm. I get the full swing. With Hot Shots, it seems like the uh, little lever or the little bar goes faster or slower depending on your club or depending on where the ball's lying. And I'm like, that's not how this would work. I understand the hit mark would be different because your ball's, you know, maybe covered in grass or whatever. But if the character swings the club the same every time, <laughs> that bar shouldn't be moving faster or slower. That's why I feel like the mechanics are not as clean. Because my go-to golf game is the Sega Genesis PGA Tour Golf 3. And that was always very accurate on the three-button press. And so that's what I expect from when I would play games like that. And right. that's why I'm very frustrated with this game. I'm like, okay, I need to find one of these four characters has to have something close to, you know, a normal hit. Yeah. Um, that was my biggest concern with that one. But if you played it more often, as a, you know, when you're younger or whatever, when you first got it, you may be used to the nuances. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I never noticed that. And maybe it's just something that I've become accustomed to over time and don't recognize. You know what I mean? Yeah. So as a new player, you'd probably have a better perspective on that than i would i I don't know i I just i didn't notice that about the game but uh yeah but that's uh something you picked up on thanks for sharing that did anyone else uh do what i was doing with mario golf and just say you know what i'm gonna play one round one controller four player that way i can pick different players no that was an awesome idea though it it was yeah and i would basically i would play a round and my top two scorers would go into the next round and then I would drop the bottom two and pick two more characters until I finally found out that Peach was incredible. And I got that negative, I think it was 11 or 12. I'm like, done. I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried Peach, man. I, I didn't have any luck with Peach. I stuck with Mario the whole time. I don't know. I couldn't putt with her for some reason. I had a lot of problems putting. And, and she didn't get a lot of distance either, which was my biggest concern. Some of the par fours that were longer par fours, I felt like I didn't have a lot of birdie chances on. Did you notice if you used the power hit, if you made that power hit a great hit, like if you stopped it in the perfect spot, you would get a power hit back? And that's how no, I no. got That's how I got her hitting the balls a little bit further. No, I didn't even know there was a power hit in that game. Yeah, that's crazy. I was just hitting everything regular, man. Okay. Oh, I told everybody you got to watch those tutorial movies because they tell I know. you how to do a power you know shot. I am, man. <laughs> 
Well, I'll go ahead and say this, since none of you are on the lead team right now, wow. that <laughs> that with, with uh, Hot Shots Golf, you can press the square to get a power hit before you start swinging. You get nine per round, and it's really helpful on par fives. I posted it in the private messages on Twitter for my teammates. We've had a good time with this. This is what I've really probably enjoyed the most about this tournament is, you know, just the camaraderie and sharing tips and stuff like that. So I posted it in my Twitter feed. I was like, yeah, don't tell the other guys this on the other team, you know. All right, Sean, what are your overall thoughts on the tournament so far? What things are you enjoying or what issues are you having? You know, I'm not necessarily speaking about the game per se, but just, you know, the event overall. That's a great question, and I'll tell you exactly like what's going through my head now and what has been going through my head the whole month. So in the past, we've done these competitions, quote-unquote, but they were always individual competitions. So when we did the shooter competition with Contra, the whole thing for me was that I'm never going to get a score on Contra that you could get rich or that crab master, you know, he's an NES expert. I'm not going to compete with you guys to get a score on Contra. So what I did was I tried to play the game as best I could. And I got as far as I could without using the 30 man code. And I ended up getting to the snow level on one life. And that for me, that's an achievement. Same thing with punch out. When we played punch out, you guys were beating Mike Tyson with one hand with your eyes closed, and I was just like... To clarify, I was the only one to beat Mike Tyson during <laughs> okay, that well. event. I, I, just, I just want to put that out there. I lost the event, but <laughs> I want to put that out there. All right. But my whole thing was, okay, I'm going to play Punch Out on original hardware and just see how far I can get. I played it in a way that I learned each fighter and I got better and better. And yeah, I say a lot. I don't waste my time getting better at games. I'm not a get good kind of guy. But with an individual quote unquote competition, I found myself just approaching it in my own special way, kind of, you know what I mean? And just being like, okay, I want to see how far I can get and punch out. And I got all the way to Macho Man and I couldn't beat him. And that was fine for me. Now, in this golf tournament, the thing that's getting to me and getting in my head is that it's a team tournament. And mm-hmm. Dougley007, Doug, who's on the air with us now, is on my team along with Fokakis, and we're the only three-man team. So there's an interesting dynamic there where I felt a lot of pressure to at least not get a complete trash score And when I was having trouble even hitting par in Turf Masters, I was starting to panic. And that's what kind of led to my rage. And, you know, I really aired it out on the forum at first. And I was like, oh, man, I got to walk this back because I don't want to (laughs) just go on the forum and trash everything. I shouldn't have posted five minutes after I stopped playing. You know what I mean? I I wish (laughs) I had taken a deep breath and aired my grievances in a more thoughtful manner. But... I really hate to say this, Rich, but if we ever do a team thing again, I don't know if I'm going to do it because I don't like the pressure of my performance being tied to other people's results. And I know it's all in fun and it's uh, just a casual thing and we're all having a good time, but I just like doing these things on an individual basis. So I'll have to think carefully if we do a team thing again. I don't hold it against you, sir. No, thank you. I know. I know. I know it's not like that. I really, you know, I know it's all trash talk and it's all fun, but I just don't. It's mental. You know what I mean? Right. 
Yeah, and uh, I'm really glad that you brought that up, and that's pretty much a big part of the reason that I posted this question, although I do have some things that I wanted to talk about as well. You know, in creating this event, I really didn't think about that and, you know, didn't have that concept. I thought it would just be a fun time for all of us to kind of get together, you know, meet some of our site mates and just, you know, have some nice discussions with them and talk some trash to people from the other teams and and have a good time. And at no point did I think that putting people on the spot individually to help out their team as someone who is on anxiety medication, that is the last thing that I would want to create for anyone else, believe me. But I'm really glad that you pointed it out because when things like this happen, it helps me understand and, you know, look to the future and say, hey, if I do something in the future, probably a team event isn't the best thing to do. Typically, I give out one trophy every year and I thought, well, it might be kind of cool this year to do a trophy for the highest score and then do something for the other team players too so somebody else can get something and It's always good to test these things out, and I was really, really glad that you brought that up, Sean, and I apologize if I created any type of anxiety in you or put any stress on you during the month of December, which can be stressful enough. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's. I would say it was completely unforeseen, and it's nothing to apologize for. Please don't take it that way. You know, I thought this was an awesome idea. I I never thought, like, am I going to feel anxious about being on the hook for my teammates? That thought never even entered my head. I just thought, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. And Mm -hmm. just the way it played out was just so not what I was expecting, but certainly nothing to apologize for. This was a good idea, and it's been a complete learning experience. Yeah. And I think if I had it to do all over again, I had mentioned handicapping. And getting players to play maybe five rounds of each game and posting an average score and then putting people on teams based on what their handicap was. You know what I mean? Like split it up. Top three golfers, one on each team. The next three down, put those on each team and, and do it that way. You know, handicap right. it so that to make the scores more even. But my thing was, it, it wasn't out of laziness that I didn't want to do it. It was just out of, man, that's going to be really time consuming. How am I going to get everybody to play five rounds of each game? That's just going to be aggravating to people. They just want to pick up and play. So what I decided to do was just do a drawing, you know, and say, okay, however the names are drawn, they're drawn. And as soon as I drew the names, I looked at the teams and I saw, of course, the team that's in the lead down. I was like, wow, that has some people that I know are going to be pretty good golfers, you know. And you happen to be on that team. No, my my team's in second right now, actually. Oh, oh, so, yeah. yeah. Guess, you're right. I had to look at the team names again. Like, uh, <laughs> I was on the number one team. <laughs> but I will say, I think we get credit for having the best team name. And, you know, I'd like to thank uh, my buddies uh, Buried on Mars and Wimster for helping us come up with this team name. And I just wanted to talk about the teams for a minute and the participants. Uh, we always announce those. So team one, which was titled Nine Iron Swords, Metal Crabs and Magic Warriors, consisted of Bigman 2K. We let him captain that team since he won the Punch-Out series last year. And then Crabmaster 2000, Neo Magic Warrior and Metal Fro. Team 2, which was the team that I captained, the name of my team was the Four Corsemen of the Agophilips, which I thought was awesome. Buried on Mars, our buddy Kevin was on my team, and our buddy Wimpster was on our team. And then team number 3, which Sean captained, was called Trace Aces, and joining him was Dugley, of course, and as he mentioned, Fokaki 79. 
So yeah, really fun event. I'm still enjoying it, playing it this month, talking a little trash, maybe slow releasing some scores like we did at the end of the uh, Super Mario Golf Toadstool Tour. My team was down 10 strokes after uh, Neo Turf Masters, but we made up a little bit of ground in Mario, and uh, now we're behind seven strokes. So uh, yeah, hopefully my team can pull it off when we can win this tournament so that I can finally have one of my damn trophies that I create in my own game room. So that would be really nice. I've enjoyed it, guys, and hate that uh, there were some issues with people having any anxiety in this event, but uh, I think overall it's been a great month. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. As I mentioned every year, December is my favorite show because we get to talk about all the games that we played in 2018, and we get to decide what our top five games were. I'm going to go ahead and rattle off the names of the games. Those are Oxenfree, Vandal Hearts, Transformers Devastation, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Rhapsody A Musical Adventure, Beyond Two Souls, Doom 2016, Die Hard Arcade, Dynamite Cop, Batman the Telltale Series, Monster Party, Bioshock, Neo Turf Masters, Mario Golf Toadstool Tour, and Hot Shots Golf 4. Great list of games. Something that I noticed this year It's probably the year that we played the most games that had a colon in the title. <laughs> <laughs> so I just Something wanted to put that out. Books. Yes, yes. The annals of uh, Playcast history. All right, guys. So let's start with Doug. We're going to do our zigzag formation as we do each time. Going to start with Doug, going to go to Sean, and then I will take up the rear. All right. Doug, what you got, man, for number five? Number five, I'm going with Oxen Free. I was pleasantly surprised with what kind of game it was. It was a fun story. It was a lot more interesting than I expected. I didn't expect as much as I got from it. That was towards the beginning of the year, so I'm trying to remember all of it, but I do remember uh, that was one that my wife set on on. 
and we was talking about character development and uh, just how interesting it was. Yeah, a lot of character development and goodness in what was kind of a short game. Yeah, right. All right, Sean, number five, what you got? Awesome. My number five is Doom 2016. I just was excited to play this game since it came out, since it was getting a lot of buzz and that it was bringing back some of the older conventions in first-person shooters in a more modern sense. And I just had a blast playing that game, and I think it was a really fun playthrough. Awesome, man. All right, my number five. This may be of a surprise to some that this is not higher up on my list. As you know, I really enjoy Quantic Dream games, but number five on my list this year is Beyond Two Souls. In the past, we played Heavy Rain, and I was always told, okay, you're going to enjoy Beyond Two Souls even more because it does things better than the way Heavy Rain did them. You know, therefore, it's going to be a better experience for you. Um, I have to disagree in that. I feel like I liked Heavy Rain a lot better because I like the detective story aspect to it more than I did Beyond Two Souls. Now, the gameplay in Beyond Two Souls, very similar and very good, but for me, I, I kind of knock it down a few notches from the other four games that I picked this year. But, uh, you know, still at number five, fantastic game, and I really enjoyed my time with it. And number four, as I said, we're going to do this kind of zigzag formation, so I'm going to be picking twice. My number four pick is Conker's Bad Fur Day, which may be a surprise to some. This is a game that, when I was playing it, I was getting really, really frustrated. I didn't really like the boss battle at the end. I did have a lot of problems with it, but looking back with it, like the entire experience and and making it through that game and playing it... um, some of the humor was really off-putting to me, but at the same time, some of it was really funny, and it's kind of an experience in game playing that you don't get very often. Just really looking back at it, I had a good time with Conker's Bad Fur Day and glad that I finally got to play it and beat it. So that is my number four pick this year. All right, Sean. Awesome. My number four is Vandal Hearts for the PlayStation oh. 1. Shocking. I had (laughs) so much fun with this game and I was just kind of like obsessed with it. And I was really in cruise control when playing it. I don't know. I had a really just a singular experience and I played it in my computer room in here on a little tube TV. So maybe felt more intimate playing it that way. And even though the music in that game is really good, I was listening to a lot of highfalutin podcasts while I was playing the game. So I really love Vandal Hearts and got to highly recommend that as a strategy RPG on the PS1. And as well, a game that kind of launched me into knowing that I enjoy, like I officially like strategy RPGs because I had just played um, Fire Emblem Awakening, which is was like mm-hmm. a huge, massive success on the 3DS that everybody played, everybody loved. So that that had me thinking like, okay, do I like strategy RPGs or do I just like Fire Emblem Awakening like everybody else does? And after not really liking Shining Force 2 when we played it for the show, uh, Vandal Hearts was an awesome surprise. And it's part of the reason why I went on to play Jean d'Arc on the PSP. So that's my number four. I said the word shocking as you announced that. And the reason I said that is because I thought that this was going to be your number one pick. And I thought that this was going to be higher up on your list. So, 
now you've got my curiosity stirring as far as what your next three picks are going to be. So that's awesome. Cool. All right, Doug, what you got for number four? Number four is uh, your number five, Beyond Two Souls. I like the storyline. Um, I kind of got lost sometimes when they did the jumping around between the uh, time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. overall, the story was very entertaining. And uh, I kind of want to go through and play it again just to make the complete opposite choices I did on the first playthrough. Just to see if it has any dramatic change to the ending. But besides that, yeah, it was a great game. It was, it was another one that my wife set in on and, and enjoyed the story with me. Yeah, Sean and I, we talk about the endings on our podcast uh, for that one. And he and I played it in two different manners. And so it was really cool discussing that game and, you know, what those alternate endings were. Because if not, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, really picked up on that. That was really cool. All right, Doug, what you got for number three? <laughs> Seems like I'm copying you guys. Uh, Conkers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, Conkers, I um, didn't get to finish it uh, just because the time in that month I was busy with family stuff. But I did first start out on it with the Xbox One collection. Uh, I played it on the 64. I even played the ROM hack version with the unedited game on the 64. I got the EverDrive for that. And I also played it on my Xbox. Doing that, the 64 is still probably the best playing of the game. But it, it's just a fun humor. You know, poop jokes all over the place. That's yeah. <laughs> just good humor. And, well, good humor as in a, you know, 12-year-old uh, boy mentality. Right, but right. still fun. Yeah. Awesome, man. How about you, Sean? Number three. I didn't ask if I could take them both, but we did it in the same month. Uh, so my number three is Die Hard Arcade and Dynamite Cop. And cool. I just was thrilled at the time to be able to play both a Sega Saturn and a Dreamcast game. Mm-hmm. And although I had played these games before in the past, it hadn't been recently. And I was very pleasantly surprised what a fun time I had with both titles. And I loved that they were both one sitting games and I was able to finish both of them multiple times and just had so much fun with the wackiness and the different characters and all the power ups. It was just awesome. I loved both of those games. Since I've spilled the beans that I have a soft modded PS2, I've played the Japanese uh, PS2 version of Die Hard Arcade. It's pretty cool. So, yeah, Die Hard and uh, Dynamite Cop is my number three. Cool. And there is a third game, I think, in that series, too, that we mentioned from Japan. And uh, I think think you might have to try that out sometime. Yeah, I forgot about that. Report back to us. Yeah, Yeah, I still got to hunt that one down. I'll I'll do that. I thought that was on the collection for the BS2. Uh, it might be a hidden game, or I thought maybe if it's unlockable, it I have games? to look into it. I, I'm not yeah. sure. I haven't played it. I just I remember reading about it, and I'm like, yeah, that looks kind of cool. Research. <laughs> yeah, that sounds <laughs> like some homework. Mad that Sega didn't make that in the U.S. Yeah, all those 2500s after the 3D crap was done with. Yeah, there's so many of them, and there's so many good games in that collection. Um, But they're out there, and some of them are even fan-translated, so uh, it's a cool, cool series. All right. Well, my number three is the game we played at the beginning of the year, Oxenfree. I was really happy that Sean had mentioned this game and wanting to play it. 
I knew very little about it, but I knew it was an indie developed title. And, you know, I think I did a little bit of research into the trailers and things like that to get a good feel with what the game was about. I really, really enjoyed this game and just had such a fun time with it. Um, enjoyed all like the little notes all over the place and sort of piecing the story together a good bit. And so it was one of my favorite games of the year. And so I'm putting it number three. Awesome. All right. So my number two pick of this year. I think some of you might be surprised that this is my number two pick, and you might question why I chose this one over the other first-person shooter game, but I didn't go with Doom as my number two pick. I went with Bioshock. Oh, cool. I felt like the mechanics in Doom were much better. It was a more fluid game, but then I started thinking about it, and it's like, well, Bioshock's a product of its time. It's a product of what development standards were at the time and what they had to work with. And for me, the story of Bioshock was so much more interesting and well-cultivated than that of Doom. Doom was more of a, hey, here you are. Let's go kill things. You know, and it did have a story. Doom had a good story. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited to play the next Doom game. But something for me about Bioshock... That whole universe and the conversations that Sean and I had back and forth about Ayn Rand, learning about her philosophy and starting the Fountainhead, that really made the playthrough for me and, and made it really, really special. So for me, number two is Bioshock. All right, Sean, what you got for number two? So my number two is a game that has been one of my all-time favorites for a very long time, and I'm, it's just one of those games that I was just glad to bring out of the obscurity of collecting and into the playthrough community, and that is Rhapsody, a musical adventure on the PS1. It's just such an endearing, cute, lovable RPG, and it's one of my favorite games of all time, and it was just a lot of fun to play it with everybody. I don't know what much else to say, except if you've never played it, pick it up. If you're in the mood for something light and cute for an RPG, it's pretty short and it's easy. So keep that in mind and don't play the DS version. Play the PS1 version. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Doug, what you got for number two? Number two is Vandal Hearts. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. No surprise. I enjoy those type of games like Shining Force 2 is one of my favorite games. Uh, Shining Force 3 beats it, though. But on Vandal Hearts, uh, I got the the PlayStation 1, the small one with the screen, mm-hmm. and I just took it everywhere. So anytime I had a chance to play it, I was playing it. It just kept me enthralled, and I just like that type of tactical game. So, yeah, that's my number two. All right. Very good. All right. Well, we're up for our favorite game of the year. And, uh, Doug, you're going to be starting us off with this. So uh, tell us what number one is. Well, being the Sega fanboy, I had to go with my <laughs> Die Hard Arcade and Dynamite Cop. Wow, all right, yeah, cool. I've had Die Hard Arcade since it came out on the Saturn. So that's my original copy. I don't know how many times I've played through that game. It's just so much fun. It's entertaining, too, to watch you get hurt and you slowly lose clothes. <laughs> which like why where'd my shoes go i don't <laughs> but yeah I, I don't know why that always amused me but it, it always amused me whenever i was playing it when i was a kid and it still makes me laugh a little bit but yeah die hard and uh yeah dynamite cop very cool man all right sean now you and i usually try to guess each other's picks 
I'm positive I know what your number one pick is now. I, I was a little foggy at first. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Do you want me to try to guess or do you just want to say it, man? Um, you can guess. It's weird that you're positive because if I was you, I would think there were actually kind of two that are up in the air that it could uh, be. So what do you okay. think it is? Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking that it's oxen free. You are correct, sir. And only because you <laughs> recently purchased it on the Switch that you liked it so much. So what was the other game that you thought I might have picked that would be up there? I thought you might have thought Bioshock just because I uh. I gushed about how much I love that game. But playing it again, I did talk about how I saw the flaws more clearly. So yeah. Yeah, and I, I got to say as well, there there were a lot of honorable mentions, and my list was not mm, easy to yes. make. I think you guys Mine either, agree. yeah. 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 But um, there was a clear-cut number one from the get-go, and I've probably thought since January, since we played it, I thought, I don't know if there's a game that I'm going to play that is better to me than Oxenfree. And I would highly recommend, and Rich, I think we've done a great job this year with the shows, to be honest. I think this is, as far as the podcast content, we've done some great work. And Oxenfree, the game, the playthrough, and the podcast, I think we did a great job. And I would just ask anybody who is interested in that game to play it and go listen to our show But that game just holds an extremely special place in my heart for the fact that I connected with the characters in that game in a way that I I don't think I ever have in a game, particularly the main character, Alex. I just identified with her in such a way. You know, any old game, I can say I'm a fan of characters in a game like Persona 3. I love all the characters. And I think they're really cool and they look neat and the way they talk is cool. But with Alex in Oxenfree, I felt connected to her in a way that I was role playing. It's hard to explain, but just like my heart was in the game with her. And maybe it's because it's about family loss and I've experienced that in real life and I was able to kind of identify with her in that way. But man, that game is precious to me. I can't overstate it. I, I know I sound like I'm overstating and gushing and going too hard for it, but that game is just incredibly special to me. And yeah, I was very happy to score an actual physical copy of it recently on the Switch. So yeah, Oxenfree is far, far, far and away my number one game of the year. Awesome, man. Yeah, I think it really says something about a game where it's the first game we play in the year in January and it has that much staying power. I feel like a lot of times I have to either go back to the podcast or sort of revisit these games due to my age and getting older and you know having like a little bit of short-term memory loss on some of the things that I play. And uh, for it to have that much staying power from January all, all the way to the end of the year to be your number one pick says a lot about that game. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, awesome. All right. So let me guess your number one. <laughs> it's probably pretty <laughs> obvious. Well, it's between two games, what I'm going to guess, but it's either Batman or Vandal Hearts. Okay. I was going to go for Monster Party. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Yeah. All right. So, what are you going with, Sean? Um, I'll say Vandal Hearts. You're right. Okay. It is Vandal Hearts. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was uh, by far my favorite game this year. And again, Staying Power, that was our February game. Yeah. So, before you go into Vandal Hearts, let me ask you 
Batman didn't make anybody's list, but I felt that you really felt strongly about that game and liked it a lot. Yeah, because I did play the sequel, you know, pretty much immediately yeah. played through that. But but it didn't make your list. No, no, it didn't. You know, it was a good game, but I've played Telltale games before. I guess really I'm a very story-driven person, maybe a little driven by difficulty. I think like with Conker's Bad Fur Day, a part of the reason I liked it so much was because you know, there were some parts that I had to really push myself to get through to finish that game. And and by the way, once again, this year, second year in a row, I finished every game in the playthrough, nice. except for, you know, the golf games, which, you know, really have no ending to them. But I do like Batman. I do like the legacy of Batman. I like the way the characters were treated. However, like the Joker in the first game, I didn't really like that as much as I did the second game. I felt like they did an incredible job of flushing that character out. And if you haven't played the second one yet, it's one I highly recommend. But yeah, I just, I I love Vandal Heart so much. And, you know, like you said, it was hard to pick. You know, there were just so many good games that we played. Monster Party, yeah, I love Monster Party. It is one of my favorite games, but... uh, you know, it's one I've played in the past and have a lot of fond memories of as a kid, and I feel like it still holds up for me at least, but, you know, when it comes to these playthroughs, I often don't pick games that I've played before, you know, I usually try to go with the newer experiences, and uh, Vandal Hearts for me was one of those that up until maybe a year ago, I'd never really heard about the game, and I had it in my collection, I was like, well, I really enjoy Shining Force and Shining Force 2. And, you know, I, I want to see how this type of game plays through another series because I've never played the Fire Emblem series. And, uh, man, I just fell in love with that. I love the characters. I love the sprite work in the game. The story is phenomenal. And it's just one of those games, gosh, you don't want to say the word hidden gem. But um, <laughs> if you know somebody that likes tactical RPGs, they need to play this game. You know, they've probably never heard of it. I don't think most people have. And uh, it was just a fantastic game. I haven't heard the greatest things about Van Hearts 2 because there are some differences. But at the same time, I think it's something that I wouldn't mind visiting someday. Yeah, Van Hearts 2 is a longer game. I, I remember that. I, I yeah. played that many moons ago. But one I haven't played, have either one of you tried the um, PS3, Xbox 360, Van Hearts Flame of Judgment? I've not really heard much about that one. Yeah, no, no. we mentioned it briefly on the show, but yeah. neither one of us yeah. has, has tried that one. Yeah, man, Sean, I was surprised. I thought Venom Hearts would at least have been number two on your list because I figured Oxenfree was number one. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. I just kind of wanted to mix it up. And I thought, like, uh, not to get too deep into it, but Rhapsody just holds a solid place as one of my favorites of all all time. And with Die Hard and Dynamite Cop, it just had so many things going for it as far as Mm -hmm. the uniqueness of the playthrough and finally playing a Saturn game and... You know, there, it just had a lot of cool things going for it. But I'll just echo what you say. Vandal Hearts gets my highest recommendation. And it's just a cool game, you know? Leaving the title, Vandal Hearts. It's just two cool words stuck together. That sounds <laughs> awesome. You know what I mean? Now that's a stretch. Just I'm had, kidding. No, I just think the whole game, as far as it's being easy. on the PS1 and the blood and all the, everything, it just has this pastiche oh, to it that is just... Blood gushers. Yeah, exactly. So, great, it's yeah. so, so cool. Such a cool game. So, 
Yeah, I, I agree. I just, for logistical reasons, I couldn't put it higher on my list. So I understand completely. And we and that's the thing about these lists. We all have our different conditions for how we rate our games, which sometimes, you know, before the show, we always go into that. But, uh, you know, I decided not to do that for this show and just, uh, you know, kind of freeform it and see what everybody picks. So, uh, yeah, awesome. Well, we have three more questions that I wanted to talk about on this show. And so, Doug, you're our guest, so we're going to start with you. The question is, which game surprised you the most in terms of your enjoyment of it? So I'm going to go with Oxenfree because I'm very set in my old ways. I'm anti-indie games because when they first started hitting the scene, they were very thrown-together silliness. So I just kind of wrote off the whole indie scene unless they had a physical release. And that means I know whatever they made was good enough to get a real disc and a real run. Yeah, I know that's kind of a silly reason. No, No, I understand that mentality completely. I think a lot of people are that way. And I think I felt that way at first as well about indie games. But I picked up Oxenfree off of a limited run games when it's released there. And so I had it on the PS4. I'm like, well, might as well let's, let's do this. So I opened up the copy and played it through and it was just incredible. I'm like, this is not what I expected at all. Right. Um, it seems like a lot of games that they do this with, they, they kind of just follow the same format. And, and this was not a format that I seen before in storytelling or, you know, obviously the, the 2D graphics, even though, you know, you're not in a 3D world, they were very well done. I just enjoyed everything on that game. And it wasn't what I expect when going into it. Awesome, awesome. man. All right, Sean. What game surprised you the most? Well, I'll make it brief because I already said it, what I want to say here. And because it's Vandal Hearts. And I was a little bit intimidated when we chose this game because of my not so wonderful experience with Shining Force 2, as I was saying. But yeah. again, this game solidified the fact that I like strategy RPGs and I will continue to seek out the good ones. And I have to appreciate Vandal Hearts. Amongst many other reasons, I appreciate it for that reason as well. Well, let me ask you, what was the thing that you liked so much about this as opposed to the Shining Force series? And I'm not trying to, you know, play devil's advocate because there definitely are differences there. It's just, you know, out of curiosity. I think when we played Shining Force 2 for the playthrough, it overwhelmed me with how many battles there were and how long the game was. And when I would look at a walkthrough and say, like, oh my god, I have this many more battles to go and I'm having trouble yeah. with the fourth one, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. that's why I just had to turn cheats on and kind of blow through the rest of the game. And uh, I didn't get the authentic experience because of that. Yeah. Uh, whereas Vandal Hearts was more evenly paced, a shorter game. And even though I didn't use cheats, you have the ability to save scum in that game because for whatever reason, the developers gave you the ability to save any time during a battle. So if <laughs> yep. you got blocked or missed, you could just load a save, you know? So if you used it strategically, you could really save scum in that game. So while not technically cheating, that's up to each person's own judgment. I was able to beat that game quite nicely. Very cool, man. All right. Uh, which game surprised you the most in terms of your enjoyment of it? Uh, I'm going to be a d- about this and pick two games because I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> as Sean's mentioned on the show before, I might have to retire my stance against first person shooters. And I got to say that uh, Doom and Bioshock both are probably 
two games that I got a lot of enjoyment out of this year and, uh, you know, glad that I could play some well done first person shooters to change my perspective on that. That's quite an accomplishment for these games to do that with me. But then the other game that I wanted to talk about, gosh, I guess this is technically three now, isn't it? <laughs> Goodness. It was Rhapsody. I've always looked at Rhapsody as sort of a kid's game, you know, and, you know, Which just something that was silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I think, like, uh, Crabmaster had mentioned something about this game, some things he didn't like about it before we had started playing it. And this was months before we had even announced it. He had started playing through it. He wasn't quite the fan of it. And, you know, Sean kind of talked me into playing it. I was collecting PS1 games at the time. As far as RPGs, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. I was blown away by it. I think it's a great game. It didn't make my top five list, I know. But we played so many good games this year that I couldn't fit it in there. But uh, I really enjoyed playing that game as well. Awesome. I have to agree with you. That game was fun. All right. Doug, we're going to go back to you. And our second question is... Which game were you most disappointed in? Uh, you're going to hate me. I might. Nah. <laughs> I'm going with Doom. Oh, wow. Okay. That's okay. Okay, so I've said it before. I suck at first-person shooters. I even put it on the easiest setting, and I felt like it wasn't giving me a chance to play through it without it just destroying me most of the time. I think I got through, like, first few levels, and I'm like, I just can't do this now. It frustrated me, and I maybe I need to give it some more time. Like I said earlier, I did pick up a copy of it for the Switch. So maybe a, sitting down with a handheld and just kind of giving it a little bit more time, I might get back into it. But I just couldn't get into it as much as I hoped I would. Does that make sense? The only yeah. reason why I picked it is that I was really expecting me to jump in there and want to finish through it and play through it. and It just didn't click, at least in the time I put into it, which... It was at least three or four hours I put into it. It wasn't one I wanted to go back and grab right away. Do you think you might have enjoyed it more had you played it on the PC, where I feel like aiming and movement would be a little easier? That might have been, because I played it on the Xbox One. I might enjoy it more if I had more control. Yeah, games like that are a lot tougher, you know, playing with a thumbstick as far as aiming. So, yeah, for me, it someone who's not a big fan of first-person shooters... It takes a little time for me to get adjusted to them. But, uh, yeah, so I, I completely understand. All right, Sean, what game were you most disappointed in this year? So, sadly, I was mostly disappointed in Monster Party. And that is because, as we discussed on the show, the game has significant sentimental value to me. And I was really amped up to play through the game and actually finish it, which I had never done before. But uh, I found the game to be way more difficult than I remembered, and I had to use the Game Genie to get through it, which is, <laughs> you know, whatever. It is what it is. Uh, right. I got to see the whole game. It's about your enjoyment yeah, of the I game. Got to, I wanted to roll the credits, as I like to say. So it was disappointing because... I thought I would like it. Like with Conker's Bad Fur Day, that was kind of my runner-up for this question, but I didn't think I was going to like Conker's Bad Fur Day. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we talked about I wanted to sell my copy of the game, and that's why we had to play it for the playthrough, because I wanted to get right. rid of it. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't a disappointment in a sense that I knew what I was getting into. But with Monster Party, I was so certain that I would enjoy the playthrough, and I, I didn't hate it, but I really didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. 
All right. Good pick. All right. Game that I was most disappointed in. I got to apologize to our buddy Kevin Buried on Mars because he was on our show for this game. And that is Transformers Devastation. I was really disappointed in this game because such a beautiful game. I mean, the character sprites and everything are amazing. You know, it reminds me of being a kid and uh, getting to play as, you know, a handful of these characters I thought was really, really cool. However, man, the gameplay was not good. It got really repetitive. The driving sequences were not good. Uh, They were hard to control a lot of times. And I just didn't find much enjoyment in this game other than visually. It was beautiful, but, uh, you know, the gameplay for me was not great. However, I will say that our show with Kevin was one of my favorites to be on just because we got to reminisce, you know, about Transformers and Transformers the movie, which was so awesome. And that is actually a really good show, even though I think for the most part, the three of us were probably a little disappointed in the game, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I I felt the same way. And I would like to point out, with you mentioning Transformers, we talked about every single game we played last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Everything's been mentioned. (laughs) 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 Glad you could point that out. Well, cool. Well, this is a fun part of our show. We get to talk about a game that was outside of our playthroughs for the year and that, you know, maybe we played all the way through or even just played some of and we've probably enjoyed the most in 2018. So, Doug, going to kick it back to you again. What is the best game you played in 2018 that was not a part of our playthroughs? I kind of gave a hint to it earlier, but Shining Force 3. Oh, okay, cool. I played through Scenario 1 and Scenario 2 already. My viewers on the stream was like, I want to watch something that's not a role-playing game. So I, I took a break, and then somebody <laughs> picked Shining the Holy Ark, which, if you're not familiar, is actually part of the same universe as Shining Force 3. It takes place 20 years before Shining Force right. 3. So it has a lot of the same enemy characters. And uh, so it was kind of serendipitous that somebody picked that, because I told them I'm going to play Sonic 3D, and I'm going back to Scenario 3 because I want to finish this storyline. So we'll see how that works out. I'm excited for it. I know my viewers kind of hate it because when you're watching somebody on stream, you want to like get the whole story. And when I'm playing a game that lasts 50 hours and with my hectic schedule, I might be able to play 10 hours a month. They're like, it's all broken up. I don't know what's going on. But I really, really like it, so I don't care. <laughs> right, right. And it's a part of a game you have to finish anyway. It is, yeah. And um, my Saturn has the uh, bot chip in it, so I can uh, play the fan translations of uh, Scenario 2 and 3. I do have the Japanese version, so but that's my rule, is that I won't play translation of a game unless I own the physical Japanese release, too. You know, we probably should have guessed that this might have been Doug's pick since I'm sitting here looking at his Skype icon and it's the witch from Shining Force 2. <laughs> he's just like staring at me as he's talking right now as I look at my screen. <laughs> All right, Sean, what's the best game you played outside of the playthroughs this year? Well, besides Jean Dark, which our listeners are probably getting sick of me talking about, and it won't be that much longer. Maybe next month I'll mention it as what am I playing, and I'll hopefully be finished with it. But thank God, yeah, 
honestly, it's probably one of the best games I've ever played. I, I just really love it, but I'm not finished with it, so I'm not qualifying that as one of the best I've played outside the playthrough. So my official answer for this question is Near Automata. And oh, okay. uh, this was a game I was just super hyped for, and I loved the original Near, and I was extremely excited because it was one of those things when I finally got a PS4, it was on the very short list of games that I absolutely had to get my hands on right away and play through. So I played it. I loved it. I did all 17 endings or however many there are and played it to absolute completion. And it was an incredible experience and I'm sure I'll play it again someday, but that was the best game I played outside the playthrough. And I got to mention, I didn't play too many games besides our playthrough games, which was interesting because in past years I've done tons of gaming and played tons of games outside the podcast games. But uh, this year I wanted to focus on reading more books. So I read many, many more books than I usually do and uh, didn't play quite as many games outside of the playthrough games. So I had to actually look at my list and I said, oh, that's right. I played Nier Automata this year, very early in the year. So that counts as my choice for that question. Very cool, man. All right, so the best game that I played outside of the playthroughs in 2018. Uh, as I mentioned before, one of my goals this year was to play at least one more game per month and beat it other than what we were doing with the playthroughs. I have a big collection, and I always feel like I don't get to spend enough time with all the games I purchase, and I thought this would be a way to become familiar with some of the other games in my collection, and also push myself to play more games, which is, it has been a challenge for me to do uh, with a larger family. So, uh, yeah, I've just trying, been trying to make a lot more time for gaming and a little more time for myself this past year. And... My favorite game, it was an indie title, it's a game that was made by one guy, did all the work for it, did all the music, did all the designing, and that game, and I've mentioned it on the show, was Axiom Verge. I really like this Metroidvania-style game. I had a blast with it this year. It's just one of those games where the story is a bit puzzling and you're kind of putting together the clues as you're going through it. It's very deep. There are different interpretations of what's going on in this game, which I find very, very interesting from that point of view. Sean, you've even mentioned before, you know, how we really like with movies and stuff, we like to have this feeling of taking something with us away from it and having to think on it for several days, right? Yeah. And so that's what this game did for me. It's not only in notes and stuff that you find in hidden areas sometimes, but it's also in little background things that you see in the game. I'm not going to mention one of the things as far as, you know, it possibly being a bit of a spoiler, but, and I thought this game was just so well done and just completely blown away by it. If you're a fan of Super Metroid or a fan of Symphony of the Night, I would say this is a game you got to pick up if you can get a physical version of or just a downloadable copy. So, uh, yeah, I hope people will definitely give this game some attention and, uh, you know, it can get the kudos that it deserves. Awesome. All right, man. Well, that's our show. 
course, Best of 2018. Once again, I had a fantastic time talking about and reminiscing on these games that we played throughout the year. And so let's go ahead and move in until what we're starting off with in 2019. And hopefully we could do as good as we did this year in picking our community games. So, Sean, you're hosting in January. Tell us all about it. Yeah, so looking at our list for 2018, it dawns on me that we didn't play any handheld games, with a few exceptions, you know, like the Rhapsody musical adventure, uh, but the lead platform on that was PS1, so we didn't play any actual exclusively handheld games. I didn't do this on purpose, but we're starting one in January for the Nintendo DS. The game is called Lunar Nights. And it's an anime-styled, Diablo-style dungeon crawler developed by Kojima Productions. And, Rich, I got to tell you, I'm about two-thirds through the game right now. Oh, wow. I absolutely love it, and I cannot wait to talk about it on the show with you, because I know that you're enjoying it as well. Yes. And I don't want to spoil it, but we are going to try to have a very special guest next month and do something that we've never done before on the show, and I'm not going to say more than that, and we'll just have to see if we can make it happen. All right. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Uh, Like you said, I'm enjoying this game very much. If you're not playing the playthrough with us next month and you're just listening to the show later on, I got to say, this is one that I would say go ahead and pick it up. If you're not familiar with it on the DS, I hadn't heard of the game. But uh, it's one that I'm taking to work with me and having a lot of fun with, you know, during lunch breaks. So, yeah, it's going to be a fun game. Can't wait to talk about it. And, uh, you know, I feel like already it was a great pick. All right. And then rolling into February, you and I uh, went through our list of games. And once again, we're kind of panicking. Oh, my gosh, we've got a show in the next few days. We're recording this one a little bit early and we've got to go ahead and pick something for February. So you and I went through a sort of concise list of games that uh, we both sort of agreed on. And the good thing about it is we got to pick some games in the upcoming months as well. So we've almost got half of our schedule up for uh, the next year, of course, None of our listeners or no one on our site knows what those games are yet, but, uh, you know, this is sort of uh, unprecedented for us. We used to do this a while back when we were running two shows where we would give our next three or four months worth of games, but uh, you and I haven't done that in a while, right, Sean? Yeah, so it's really nice to have our thing planned out for the next few months because <laughs> we never yeah. do that, so now I can kind of plan my playing habits for a little while. It's awesome. Yeah, don't get too far ahead, man, and forget about some of the games. So Yeah, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my short-term memory isn't the best. So um, Sean and I came with this short list, and it looks like for our February game, we have selected Bayonetta, which is a game that I've never played. I got my system kind of late in the game, and when this game came out, it was a lot of hype around it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people really, really enjoyed playing this uh, beat-em-up style game. So, uh Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this, and I want to see what all the hype's about and, uh, you know, whether I agree with it or not. Do you know what system you're going to be playing it on? Because I know they got the Switch version. I don't know if that's out yet, but I know it's coming out. Right. Uh, You have the Wii U version, which, you know, basically is the same as the Switch. And then you have your 360 and your Xbox. uh, PlayStation, sorry. I'll be playing it on PlayStation 3. Since okay. that's the uh, you know the only one of those consoles that I actually have, I do have 360 as well. But I'll be playing on PlayStation 3, just being a preferred format of mine. Yeah, I might bust out my uh, Wii U copy just because it's fun to have her dressed up as Princess Peach. 
<laughs> nice. How about you, Sean? What would you be playing it on? I'm probably going to play on the 360 because I currently own it on the 360, both physically and digitally. But depending on how it plays out, I have a trade going with one of my coworkers, and he owes me a copy of Bayonetta 2. And he was saying, because he's been looking for a very long time for a used copy complete, like with the case, and he can't find one. So he has told me that if he can't find one soon, he's just going to buy a new copy of it for the Switch, and then it will come with a code for Bayonetta 1. So if that happens, I might play it on the Switch, but chances are that I'll play the 360 version. All right, man. Very cool. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up the show. So, Doug, I want to say thank you so much for joining us again this year. It was a lot of fun, man. It's a pleasure. I plan on playing all the games next year and being back next year. (laughs) All right. episode and another year thank you for listening and thank you for participating in all of our playthroughs and an extra special thanks to dougley 007 for once again joining us on the show to recap the year in playthroughs in february we'll put a platinum games title on your plate once again as we hack and slash our way through their witchy 2009 masterpiece bayonetta Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next month on the Playcast.
flesh meat. Well, there's one more thing that I wanted to mention on the collector cast, and that is something that I've got wait, tickets wait, wait. to. Sorry, you oh, said sorry. collector cast. I okay. I say concert cast. I, I did, I did. let that slip no, by. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can press the B button to get a power hit before you start swinging. You get nine per round, and it's really helpful on par fives. Except there's no B button on the PlayStation. I mean, <laughs> I really do not like the Nintendo 64. And, um, you know, sorry, guys, I've got like a lot of noise outside right now. So I'm going to start that segment over after this noise is gone. There's a motorcycle or something out there. I don't know. Yeah, I can hear yeah. it through the mic. Yeah, I want to start that over just because that. Mm, it's a to get an early Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, can you guys hear this airplane now? What in the <laughs> hell is going on? Uh, I heard that. I was wondering if it was by me, but... Jeez. Somebody got an airplane for Christmas. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Sons That's of bitches. <laughs> no, the guy... I just got home from test driving my motorcycle. Time to take the airplane for a spin. <laughs> Can't wait until I get the uh, dirt bikes out. Drive around the yard. (laughs) Gonna go through the neighborhood on the yacht here in a little while.